0: think we're good. <laughs> I think we're good this time. Take two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're re-recording this for people tuning in. <laughs> so We're not off to the best start. But anyway, hello. Welcome to Panastoria. Let's just start by getting introductions. So.
1: Yeah, I'm Lindsay and uh, I have a master's degree in philosophy and i am got a minor in history in my undergrad. And uh, I just want to start by acknowledging that this podcast is being recorded on Treaty 7 Territory, which is home to the Blackfoot and people of Treaty 7 region, so a lot of different places, and also is home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, uh, which is Region 3. So, yeah, that's important to acknowledge.
0: Yeah, yeah, especially today because they just opened the Reconciliation Bridge and yeah. everyone was walking across it. So yeah. Great, good timing. Good timing to do that. Uh. Anyway, before I make it more awkward for myself. um, uh, For those of you who hadn't heard episode zero, my name is Jonah. I have a bachelor's degree in history. I am a recent graduate and all of Lindsay's credentials make mine look ever more sad. (laughs) So anyway, just a quick couple things to note. Uh, This is being recorded today, obviously fucking christ jonah get yourself together anyway i've been we've been talking about how nervous we've been all day oh you're gonna court. feel the
1: awkwardness it's gonna be so awkward yeah
0: it's gonna be great isn't it i mean maybe that's why we, we become... wouldn't be
1: humanities degrees with or wouldn't be humanities majors without a ton of awkwardness that's right? true that is
0: true that's how this I works mean, hey we got to be unique somehow to other podcasts
1: <laughs> max awkwardness max
0: awkwardness prepare yourselves anyway uh just quick things to note there's going to be a bit of a break Uh, Between this episode and episode two, uh, Lindsay is going to be out of town. But while she's out of town, we're going to have a special guest uh, appear with me on another series that we're going to get off the ground called The Museum of Controversy. It's about all a bunch. We're just going to discuss general controversial things like first episode one is going to be about uh, different controversial flags and we're going to discuss why they're controversial and just how the controversy started and we're going to be doing other controversial subjects so nothing too controversial so um and at least not in i mean in terms of like making people arm wavingly angry um
1: although if you are that's totally fine feel free to engage with us on social media yeah
0: it's fine and with that said i should also note that um regardless of where you are on the spectrum if you're closed-minded politically you're probably not going to enjoyed the podcast too much. <laughs> also,
1: if you're not a fan of swearing, I can't guarantee anything. I'm yeah, sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah, that too. I mean, we're—it's my podcast. Fuck it. Um. <laughs> anyway, so with that out of the way, we're gonna get st- we're gonna get started. Yeah. And for those of you, obviously, people joining in, seeing the title, that today is the Korean War, and it is known as the Forgotten War for very good reasons because nobody knows. Anything about it. Anything about it. I mean...
1: Like the fact that Canada participated, and no one likes to talk about that.
0: Dude, where do most people get their information from, Lindsay? MASH. Yeah. I promise, Lindsay, we could talk about MASH.
1: It's the only reason I'm here, really. Actually, that's not true, but it's like a a big part of the reason I'm here. (laughs) Okay. And Jonah's illustrious company, but...
0: Uh, this is just then I'm looking for a new co-host. Yeah, if you send your um...
1: <laughs> five mi- five minutes in, and I've yeah, already been fired. This, we're off to a great. We're
0: start We're off to a fantastic start. Um, just send in your <laughs> resumes and your sound bites. To I'm not giving my email. Fuck it. Um, anyway. So how did the Korean War begin?
1: Oh, we didn't play the song.
0: The song's already played. Oh. Like cool. we just I just didn't I just didn't, get, I just it, didn't so. get to hear
1: it. That's fine. It's
0: it's fine. Uh well, we'll you'll continue. I'll let, I'll let you fine. listen to it afterwards. Just Continue. Anyway. Don't mind us, audience. Uh, <laughs> um, so how did it begin? The Korean War yeah. essentially the the needle began to thread the idea of the Korean War right from the end of the Second World War. So, w- Europe, we're, we're yeah, that's going to be a funny place because everyone's like, what? Korea's in Asia. Well, we can't talk about it without talking about Europe.
1: So that's how history works. Yeah.
0: It's, I know. I don't hate me. I don't hate you. No, not, not you. I'm sure. not worried about you. Well, I, am, well, I mean, you just fired
1: we, me, but that's fine. Yeah.
0: No, you're rehired. I kind of, yeah. Anyway, you're the, you're the, the re, you're the smart one in this. I'm not. Um, anyway. Um, Essentially, the Cold War began in Europe. There's no denying that. And in fact, all parties involved in the Cold War were concerned with Europe, especially near the beginning. So after the Second World War, Germany was divided. And there were four occupational zones, a British one, a French one, an American one. And a soviet one in the east but another interesting thing is that berlin which was entirely it was also divided into occupational zones in the same way but it was completely surrounded by east germany so completely surrounded by the soviets and you know dirty communism but um there are some issues there's great distrust with the soviet union even when the with the, from the Western Allies during the Second World War, and they they were hesitant to uh, to have the Soviets can remain in control of Eastern Europe because they're just like either they're not going to give them back or like
1: bad things will happen exactly. if the like communists run the show. I yeah,
0: guess. Ex- Basically, yeah, because like they they knew Stalin was a bit of a wild man.
1: They really only allied with him because Stalin wasn't really allied with Germany anymore. Yeah, like,
0: <laughs> basically. It's like, oh, well, we got someone here that's got a lot of manpower and not, will, not yeah. worried about
1: He was a serviceable ally, but they certainly didn't trust him.
0: Exactly. And Stalin didn't trust the West. So there were scheduled Eastern... Euro- there were scheduled free elections all over Europe.
1: Except in the East.
0: Except in the... Well, you say that, I mean... They were free, quote unquote, elections. Max, and air quotes. Surprise, surprise! The communist parties win in a landslide. And this is and this this is what began, what is known as the Red Terror, which is that big, oh, the fear of communism is coming. It's coming. Oh and, and
1: policies like containment.
0: Exactly, containment. Um, it was also. Around this time that Churchill made his famous speech, there's iron an Iron Curtain drawing across Europe. And yes, that was Winston Churchill that said that. I've heard a lot of people say it was Truman. but
1: Truman wasn't that eloquent.
0: No, he wasn't. We'll get into that in a minute.
1: Decent dude. Not yeah. that eloquent.
0: <laughs> so... The United States. One man in the United States, who was the Secretary of State General of the Army, George C. Marshall, came up with an idea. The Marshall
1: Plan. The Marshall
0: Plan, and they're not very, um, they're not very um, good at coming up with better names. Not really. No, I mean, they, it was known officially as the European recovery program it's still but not a better plan. no it's not not snappy
1: not snappy at all no
0: that's why everyone calls it the marshall plan but essentially what it was is to send free aid to europe and officially it was so the european nations could rebuild and but it was it,
1: really to promote capitalism it was
0: exactly to, and to. we'll give
1: you money if you believe in our system yeah
0: and to like set up a front line against the communism East, against the iron curtain exactly can't um, go too
1: far, we're there first. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. It's like, well, we'll just keep sending them money. Right. And propping them up.
1: Dollar dollar bills, yo.
0: Exactly. And between 1948 and 1952, the US sent thirteen billion dollars worth of aid to Western Europe. I should have clarified, yeah, we when I say Europe, it's Western Europe. <laughs> um <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. except yeah, they, Poland, Poland ain't getting any of that money.
0: Um including Spain which is quite awkward because Franco was in power and Franco is was the last fascist leader. You
1: can't give the fascist money you just defeated them. Like.
0: yeah if you we were, are you were going you're going to learn very quickly that in that they kind of turned a quickly turned a blind eye to oh, yeah. tyranny during the Cold War.
1: Especially well,
0: yeah. even in South Korea but we'll get to that.
1: They're okay with tyranny as long as it benefits them.
0: Oh yes. And but here's an interesting thing. Like for what despite what it like what it was and for the reasons why they did it, it actually helped bring Europe back to pre-war levels by 1953, which is actually a pretty decent mm-hmm. job. And for yeah. for this, Marshall actually won the Nobel Peace Prize.
1: <laughs> Throw money at the problem, it always it, works, right? Yeah,
0: well it did. It kind of did. I mean, it wasn't just. It was just it wasn't just money. Like that was oh, quite yeah. a bit of it. But yeah, they were sending like arms and.
1: Well, I mean, there's nothing that time and money can't fix. Exactly. So.
0: Our time, money, and tanks.
1: Well, uh, tanks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Many tanks. Um, much tank. But they were also sending like building materials and people yeah. to like help. Yeah. yeah. I, they sent people to not just Germany but to Japan as well to rewrite their constitution.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they ended up getting the constitution that FDR. Mm-hmm. Wanted for the United States. So that's why people are like, why is it got at the end of? I can't remember which documentary it was. FDR had this plan for a second Bill of Rights for the United States, but he died before it could be.
1: Yeah. FDR's death was inconvenient in many ways.
0: Exactly. Another major development was NATO was formed in April 1949. And it's, it, they did not shy away from what it was. It was a military alliance against. The expansion of communism, mm-hmm. particularly against the threat of the, the Soviet Union, so its goal was to militarily fight communism. And
1: then, coincidentally, the Warsaw Pact became a thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, what's up with that? Well, that Shocking. kind of that became a thing like after what I'm going to talk about after this. Oh, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> chronology. Um, who needs it now? Yeah, exactly. But there's also it also like allowed for foreign military bases to be built in Europe. So like France was full of military bases that were mm-hmm. owned by the Americans, the British.
1: West Germany is West full Germany of them. West Germany Ramstein Rab- still exists. Yeah,
0: like the um, Royal Canadian Air Force had air force bases over there. My-
1: still do in Germany, I think.
0: Uh, kind of. It's, it's, it's It's being decommissioned. Yeah. It's like, as far as I know, the Canadians that go over there, they're, they serve on British bases or American bases. We
1: did have our own though.
0: We did. We absolutely did. Until
1: like reasonably recently, I think. Yeah.
0: My great grandfather was on, like he was on a West
1: I know someone actually, one of my former bosses actually, when he was in the army served on a Canadian base in Germany. Really? Yeah.
0: When he were bosses?
1: Yeah. Uh, Or like formerly. A long okay. time ago. He was, like, he's probably in his, like, 60s, 70s. Like, he's older. And he served on, a, oh. I think, a Canadian military base in Germany.
0: A lo- yeah. Like, you would be sent over there for
1: yeah,
0: any, like, any reason. But, yeah, you served on the base. And that's, I think he retired after that. but I'm not sure. Um, so anyway. one of the ma- first major developments between Soviets and the West was a incident known as the Berlin blockade and what had happened is the Soviets wanted Berlin but they only had half of Berlin and a lot of people were fleeing yeah they were defecting to
1: I think fleeing is an accurate term yeah
0: that's a good term it's a they're willing to
1: run through a barbed wire fence that's fleeing
0: I mean this is something I just learned is you could just freely walk over during that time so a lot of people go to West Berlin and they would immediately be given West Berlin or West Berlin citizenship, West German citizenship, because they're German. Mm-hmm. And they would just fly from the airport there into West Germany, and that's it. So Stalin didn't like this at all. Well, I mean, the main German... I forgot to write down the name of the German leaders, but it's basically Stalin. Yeah. They weren't happy about this, and they said to Stalin, like, you got to help us out. So what Stalin did is he blockaded all the roads leading into west berlin west berlin so they couldn't get supplies
1: the berlin airlift
0: yeah i'm getting to that don't worry um but what actually what mainly started that was uh like they they tried other reason ways to do it like they would um they would keep bankrupting the Mm. west german mark um and uh without consulting with Stalin, the French, the, the West Germans, the Americans and the British implemented a new mark And in June of 1948. And Stalin was like, okay, that's it. And he blo- had Soviet troops blockade the, the roads going in. And all the roads, all the rail traffic, everything. Well, Truman... Wasn't going to allow this to happen at the time. Also, the Americans were the only nation, like only country on the earth to have the atomic bomb. So what had happened, what happened is Truman uh, called Stalin's bluff. And he ordered a massive airlift of supplies to, uh, to, to West Berlin, to because for a, long, a while, these people in West Westmoreland were starving. They had no electricity. They had no gas. It was pretty rough. But then German's like, let's get, we're going to set up this airlift. And it was 692 aircraft made 275,000 flights in 15 months. And that's brought over $2.5 million. Tons of supplies. This is also a big, big step in reconciliation between the Allies and the Germans because people, there are literally people on the airfield who were once like they're members of the American or the British Air Force, uh, working alongside former members of the Luftwaffe, so the German Air Force.
1: Awkward, yes, but.
0: They didn't, they didn't care at that point because they were were working together to fix airplanes. They didn't speak each other's language, but they, they managed to do so.
1: I mean, I think at some point you kind of just have to figure it out.
0: Basically. Yeah. I mean, you knew what you needed to work on. Yeah. Like, I mean, finger pointing goes a long way. Yes. No. Yeah. Don't read into that. But anyway, um,
1: (laughs) if only you could see our facial expressions.
0: Yeah. Oh, and here's the amazing thing. Every, at the peak of the airlift, one plane was able to land and take off every 30 seconds from the air, from the Berlin Air German Berlin efficiency. Airf- yeah. Well, not just German, but anyway. Um, there was also, I just wanted to note this because this is really cute. There was a German pilot who started dropping candy out of his window to children. And the way people knew who he was, Way the children knew it was him coming, is he would waddle the wings. Yeah, and they would be like, "It's him! Oh, let me drop candy!" And at first, the higher ups were not happy well, with this. Of course this. not. And but then Sherman got a word of this, and he's like, "No, this is a perfect opportunity.
1: Makes us, it makes them not hate us.
0: Exactly. That's one of them. But <laughs> give him the candy. Yeah, and he also he actually got like companies like Nestle and." I'm going to end up saying stuff that's owned by the same people, but whatever, like Nestle, Hershey, all these places just, just to donate candy to this man and he would drop them off out of his window to the children. Um, well, Stalin was completely humiliated because they were able to l- survive through this siege for that long. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, why didn't they just shoot down the planes? Cause. Well, because he didn't have an atomic bomb. Yeah. Here's the funny thing is Truman had a bunch of planes that the, the the planes that were meant to drop atomic bombs all lined up in Britain. Like, see, see, they're ready. They're fueled and they're ready to go.
1: Well, bomb your asses.
0: As if he had like hundreds of weapons. He only had one. Yep. Because he used two of them during the war on Japan and they only had one left, which was supposedly supposed to be dropped on Tokyo. But that's it.
1: I mean, to be fair, you really only need one.
0: <laughs> yeah, during that time, yeah. But if they found out that you that that was the only one that you had and you used it, yeah. Luckily, it never came to that. Stalin opened up the supply lines again, and just that was it. I mean, for a time being. But this was also what led the, the the building of the Berlin Wall, which I'm sure we're gonna do an episode about. Obviously. We're going to obviously do it.
1: I have some fun pictures that I'll post on Facebook of me at the Berlin Wall.
0: Oh, there you go. Perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can go check out stuff. We're going to be posting stuff to the Facebook page. I should have mentioned that at the beginning. but I
1: tried. You cut me off. It's
0: fine. I did? Oh, I'm a horrible boss, aren't I?
1: The worst, actually. I'm yeah. following a labor complaint.
0: Not with WCB. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh yeah, but that September nineteen forty eight, all trade with the East was completely cut off. It was done by this point. It was clear the Cold War, like the Cold War, had already started by then. But this was it. It got this, colder. It definitely got fro. It got freezing. Um, and then oh, they they sorry, the airlift ended in September nineteen forty nine. So they lasted a long time. June 1948 until September 1949. They were able to survive off of this.
1: Still didn't really have anything on St. Petersburg during the siege of St. Petersburg, but like.
0: No, definitely not. It's but, still but impressive.
1: It's, yeah, nevertheless. it's
0: super impressive, like what they were able to do. Nevertheless. Yeah. You made I mean, it. You made it. Yeah, no one has really, like no one, no, like, no one had really done this something like to this scale where no, they're no, able no. to land that many planes no. and fly that many.
1: Because planes. Stalin certainly wasn't flying planes into Leningrad. Oh,
0: no. Well, no, definitely not. But, yeah, Papa Joe. (laughs) Uncle Joe. But here's the sad moment before we get to the main subject. By August 1949, the Soviets had tested their first atomic weapon. So now both sides had the bomb.
1: Cue the arms race.
0: Yep. Yep. This was also the beginning of the yeah. This was the be. I just have it written here. The beginning of the nuclear arms race. So all of them started building up their weapons. Well, the Americans and Soviets started really building up their arsenal, and then places like Britain and France. They're
1: like, hey, maybe we should get one too. Yeah. Hey, so America, help us.
0: Basically, yeah. Um, this was the beginning, and it was also the beginning of McCart of the McCarthy era, where
1: which is the worst. The
0: worst. We are gonna have an episode all about that. The
1: worst.
0: But the, uh, like the McCarthy era, I'm most be people, so
1: salty towards McCarthy.
0: That's fine. I'm fine with that. He cool. kind of deserves it. He does. But yeah, it was basically. I think he was a senator or mm. just a member of the house.
1: Senator Joe McCarthy.
0: Senator Joe McCarthy.
1: From. I have no idea. Well, I want to say he's from California, actually, but I could be wrong. I don't know. You'll probably fact check me and realize that I'm wrong about yeah. that. But definitely was a senator. Yeah,
0: send us in where he was from and mock us. Uh, for not doing enough. Any post
1: engagement is good engagement right now, guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can make fun of us for this not being like not knowing this, but that's not the topic. Not the point. It no. will be
1: later though.
0: It will be. Um, but yeah, he started what's called the red scare where he's like communists are infiltrating the government and our everyday lives to topple our government. Obviously, it was not fucking true
1: cuz nope. Fun fact about the Senate hearings though. Ronald Reagan testified.
0: I could believe it. He, he did. was
1: so, Ronald Reagan, because he was a famous actor at the time, uh, right? Kind of hilarious when you think about it. Um, so, yeah, Senator Joe McCarthy had these House Senate hearings on uh, finding communists, basically. It was, it was a witch hunt. And uh, when so, you, when he went after Hollywood, uh, he had Ronald Reagan testify, and Reagan totally turned on some people. So, yeah, that's right. Reagan was a snitch.
0: When you hear snitches
1: get stitches. When
0: you hear Reagan testifying, Against communism, are you really surprised?
1: No, no, that's just my fun fact. and
0: had he acted with the monkey yet?
1: I'm actually not even sure <laughs> I'm gonna I, find, find that I out. haven't really watched a lot of Reagan's <laughs> movies in fairness. He really only had he was only famous because honestly, his career took a serious like upswing after he testified at those hearings okay. because anybody who was a communist had their lives ruined. And their careers destroyed. And anybody who did cooperate with McCarthy tended to do better in life for a little while. Yeah. And so Reagan's Reagan's career definitely hit like an upswing after he turned on turned all of on his everyone. people.
0: He's like he's a true American. Snitches get up, stitches. He gave up those communist scum. I just yeah. remember there's I saw like a bit of a movie. It was on Turner Classic Movies. Just love shit. TCM. Um, TCM
1: for days. Yeah, I
0: love TCM too. But uh, he's like this woman's like saying something. He's like. Mark can stop that in a hurry. just walks up and slaps her right across the face. And you're like, uh.
1: Well, that's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like
0: super uncomfortable to watch. And you're like, yeah. It's like watching the old James Bonds. Yeah. And you're like, there's no way that they can't, they could get away with this. Yeah. Well. But, yeah.
1: Unless James Bond played in the NFL. Anyway. Yeah.
0: This is the get, we're we're gonna do this quite a bit, people. So get used to it. If you don't like super it, super
1: sarcastic, some super sarcastic and super sassy, super sarcastic,
0: so. sassy, and getting a bit off like oh. on topic, but not the topic. So
1: buckle up, folks. Yeah, it's gonna be a ride. It's gonna
0: be quite the ride. Um, so now, Korea, Korea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're now, gonna talk about the place fine, the war is
1: in. We're finally,
0: what? there. Yay. Who does that? I know. I know. Like everyone's gonna be like, "Oh, I was having fun." But anyway, so Korea—were
1: <laughs> you though?
0: I, d- I was. Were
1: they? I
0: don't know. <laughs> well, we'll find out. I guess we will. It, we'll find out. We um, got one
1: new Facebook like. Did we? Yeah. Okay.
0: Because well, there I we go. I invited
1: my friend to like the pitch.
0: Oh, that still counts. <laughs> still I'm so counts. excited. I'm so excited. Um. So anyway, so Korea. <laughs> obviously Korea was the reason why Korea was divided at the end of the war is because the Soviets invaded the North and then the Americans actually quickly landed in the South and went up and met the, met the Soviets in the middle at this area known as the 38th parallel, which was actually at the time a completely straight line across the peninsula, dividing into uh, almost essentially exactly in half. So, the Soviets set up a government known as the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. You know when something has democratic
1: Usually it, doesn't it's not, not democratic. democratic. Like, you got to have this illusion that you're democratic. So putting democratic <laughs> in the name is like the perfect well, way to do if that. If we
0: put democratic and peoples in it...
1: Must be about like, the people. Well,
0: like, we're, oh, we're beautiful.
1: Will of the people for days.
0: Yeah, exactly. It, they established it on September 9th, 1946. Uh, the capital is Pyongyang. It is a single-party communist state, and the, the the first premier, as it was known as it was known as at the time, was uh, Kim Il Sung.
1: He's a hero in yeah. North Korea.
0: Oh well, he's still that's kin- what I mean. He's still yeah. like
1: a hero of North Korea.
0: Not just that, but he's still listed as their eternal leader. Yeah. So.
1: Hear that, Kim Jong Un? You are superior. You yeah. are inferior.
0: Well, he's like one step down.
1: It's still he's a like step, one down. step
0: down. It's yeah, I know, but down. I mean, even he would be like in awe of this. Yeah, just just for people who don't know, Kim Il Sung is the gra- grandfather of Kim Jong Un. What is it? He'd be like great, Kim- grandfather. great grandfather. No, because. Kim Il-sung is... Oh,
1: no, it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah it right. is his grand, yeah, grandfather.
0: Yeah, right. So, yeah. Kim yeah Kim Il-sung is Kim Jong-un. It is Kim Jong-un, right?
1: Mm-hmm. The current leader,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's Kim Jong-un's grandfather. grandfather. And who was the... Kim pre- Jong-il. Kim Jong-il, that's why I'm getting it mixed up. Okay. Some quick, funny... I don't know if you know about this, but, like, people in North Korea, they say Kim Il-sung was born on a mountaintop. And when he was born, the clouds parted and a beam of light came down.
1: There's tons of paintings and stuff yeah. for that.
0: Oh, they're all... Like, you'll just look up pictures of, like, inside North Korea. You'll see all sorts of interesting stuff. Um, uh, but there's... Uh, the when I think it was when the Soviet Union collapsed. Uh, people found documents that he's actually born in a refugee camp in the Soviet Union.
1: So much less <laughs> hilarious.
0: Yeah, I know. So I mean, I can-
1: would want a story written about me that had, like, mountains and sunshine yeah. and shit and not Soviet refugee camps because that's just lame and boring yeah, and uh, frankly a little bit sad and depressing
0: I mean it's not like the Americans don't really glorify like make up stories like George Washington chopping down a cherry tree it's kind of similar
1: yeah it's actually really quite similar yeah
0: exactly or <laughs> Which, what is it I mean
1: really we can talk about this later on our episode eventually about propaganda
0: yes we can I am going to get back to the, the topic. main topic now I think Lindsay's getting annoyed with me
1: not really actually uh, okay I'm having fun
0: um, so anyway, yeah, so that, so there are, there've only been three premiers of North Korea. So Kim Il-sung was the first, then Kim Jong-il, which pretty much everyone knows. He passed away in 2011 or 2012, I think. Maybe, like that. maybe earlier. I'm, I don't, I don't remember. I remember when he died. Like that was like a big thing and everyone's mm-hmm. like, well, oh God, like now what? I mean, West wasn't so worried. South Korea actually wasn't worried.
1: It's really just everyone in North Korea that. Yeah.
0: Well, everyone was crying, which is kind of like anyway. Um, But yeah, so then it was then now it's Kim, Jong Un, Mm. who is Kim Jong Il's youngest son. Youngest son, yeah. So South Korea, it was officially the Republic of Korea. You notice that they don't have North and South in the names.
1: No, because it's Korea. Yeah,
0: we're going to get to that in a moment. Now, the First Republic, and I say that loosely as I possibly can, was set up in August on August 15th, 1948. So, yeah, a couple years after, just a year and a half after, well, okay, two years after North Korea. Capital is Seoul. Still the capital. Still the capital, yeah. Yeah. Um, and officially, it was a pres- presidential republic. Mm-hmm. Truth is, it was an authoritarian dictatorship. Because
1: outside of the United States, presidential systems almost never work.
0: Pretty much. So the pre- the president president again, quote unquote, was named Singman Rhee. He was a man who was educated in the United States. They immediately. I think he went to Harvard or something. Like he, he was ridiculous. I think he was. He was also had some dealings with the CIA apparently. I don't.
1: That sounds surprising. I don't
0: know that for certain. But knowing the United States, does anyone
1: know anything about the CIA for certain? Not
0: really, but I mean, there's some things like it's obvious Noriega was installed by the CIA in Panama. But yeah, so I can find a credible source about that. So take that with a grain of salt. But yeah, he was. Inst- but knowing how. Presidents would install, or presidents, the U.S. would install presidents that had dealings with the CIA. It's not, it wouldn't surprise me if it turns out he was like something, like had some training with them or whatever. So yeah, he was installed by the U.S. And he had a super repressive regime. By 1950, 30,000 communists, quote unquote... Dirty commies. Yeah. Were jailed. And a further 300,000 were forced into what was called re-education. <laughs> Everyone's probably listening right now and like, are you sure you're talking about South Korea?
1: Yeah. They weren't great people. No. Honestly, not really great until quite recently. And even there's still some questionable things.
0: Yeah. I mean, they still have issues with... They, I mean, everyone... I, I'm sure people heard about their p- previous... Pre- was it the president or prime minister? President. Their previous president is, was know. now. I
1: don't know that much about South Korea. Well,
0: yeah, I mean their their previous president before this one was just recently sentenced to like twenty years for fraud or something like that. Not great. No. Not
1: a great look. The optics on that aren't good. Yeah,
0: I mean, and and all, all for all intents and purposes, it is better than the north, but th- that doesn't mean they're perfect. No one is perfect. So post-war in korea the actually they actually agreed the soviets agreed with the allies that it should be divided at the 38th and by 1949 all of the foreign armies had left both of the both the koreas the ussr left behind all of their tanks all of their Airplanes and a lot of their ammunition and small arms. The United States on the on you know the other I carry
1: it all back. To yeah, Russia.
0: well, they're like, oh, we can't carry. It was basically, we can't possibly carry all this. It's, oh, it's too bad. We're gonna have to leave this here. Wink, wink. So basically, they re they armed the entire North Korean regime. The United States, on the other hand, left nothing behind. And I mean nothing. They left a few small arms, but they did. But we and the military were like, can you maybe leave us some tanks? And the United States is like, nope, and took off with everything. Bastards. So, because the United States was like, well, we're going to leave you with things to maintain internal order. We're not really concerned about the North. The North will be fine. The truth is they were the obvious for obviously re- like this is the reason why is because the United States is more worried about arming Europe because they're like the main war. If there's a main war with the Soviets, it's going to be coming over the the Rhine. It's not going to be anywhere else. It's going to be over the Rhine. People who may know, know that that's actually the one place where conflict like that didn't happen. <laughs> but the Soviets had their fears of the South Koreans as well because they're actually afraid that Japan would rearm and then use South Korea as a staging ground to attack the Soviets because the J- Japan and the Soviets had some border skirmishes before the Second World War or during the Second World War
1: wait sorry Japan Japan and, Japan the, Soviets? and the Soviets yeah oh, they had skirmishes like all the way back with the Czars
0: yeah. They've had they've had they've had beef for a while, people. Had beef. They've had beef.
1: <laughs> so much beef. Yeah, <laughs> we're all oh, that wagyu. Yeah, this is gonna
0: be a present. Pre- pre- what is it? I don't know the fucking proper term, but this is gonna be. This is just letting you know we're gonna use a lot of mild terms for something serious. <laughs> um, under exaggerations, as you could say. But here's here's where things get extremely messy. On June 25th, 1950, the Korean People's Army, which is the North Korean Army, started a massive artillery barrage across the 38th parallel. And once the guns fell silent, North Korean troops marched basically en masse all along the 38th into South Korea. Suck
1: at South Korea. Yeah,
0: basically. Within... They were able to entire they capture the entire thirty eighth within hours of the assault. I think one it, it differs pretending. It's
1: amazing to, how the element of surprise works for you. I
0: know. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, it was. It's kind
1: of kind of like I don't know the blitzkrieg. Well, it
0: was basically that. It was literally we're gonna line people up on the border, march forward, and see how it goes from there, and it worked. I mean, obviously, it worked. they were way better armed.
1: And, like, what are you going to do with a mass of people coming at you, like... South,
0: South Korea didn't even have any bazookas. Nah. They had no anti-tank guns to do this, so they're like, uh... Oh, shit.
1: And North Korea's like, get fucked! We gotta get...
0: we Like, they basically... The smart thing to do was to retreat. There are claims... There are claims that South Korea fired first.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and they were... They, as Kim Il-sung... Put, sorry.
1: Oh... My my retort to that is with what?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but the, their offici- their reason that was their reason, as I said, they fired first. And what the source I was reading it sounds like it was either faked or a false flag. Um, but they all and they said well, we're going to move to quote oust the bandit traitor Sigmonry. Because you got to remember, people, these... All these people... They're all Koreans. hmm So they're all... They're, it's exactly like West and East Berlin.
1: America has not invaded yet. There is no Hawkeye Pierce.
0: Ex- yeah. We're... Yeah. <laughs> um, so...
1: Hawkeye has not landed.
0: Well, yeah, not yet. <laughs> Nobody has landed. But everyone knows the true hero is Radar. Um... Yeah, so anyway, they were able to capture the whole 38th within hours on that first assault. Ri and the government decided, because what people don't necessarily know is Pyongyang and Seoul are not that far away from each other. Like, they're right there on Which the Which is really part border. of the panic
1: about North Korea having nuclear weapons is that Seoul is like... Right there. Like, they don't need to be able to hit America. They just need to hit the side of a barn door, which is about the approximate distance of Seoul from Pyongyang. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, if they tried to shoot at America, they'd crash into the ocean again. Or Um, hit Canada. No. They wouldn't make it. They don't have enough oil, apparently. But, um... They don't. But, yeah. So, anyway. Ri and the rest of his government decided, okay, we need to leave on June 27th. And... The South Koreans actually did something quite smart. They started destroying bridges, roads, railways, anything to just yeah. slow the advance. And it worked. That's
1: what the Russians did. They burned yeah. everything to the ground. And
0: every single army in the history of the earth has done that. Scorched earth policy. Yes. I mean, this like, this was kind of, that the Soviet scorched earth was basic, was that on, like, was what the south koreans were doing on steroids yeah of course but yeah they were just showing the way like for the tanks and the trucks and whatnot to advance make them walk yeah by the 20s by the 28th seoul had fallen so that's so think about that 25th they begin marching marching and shooting and by the 28th the capital has fallen Needless to say, Ri was not happy.
1: Well, no shit.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, and he did one of the most disgusting actions during the entire war, which is the Bodo League Massacre. On the same day as the fall of Seoul, so June 28th. It was a mass murder of suspected communists and suspected communist sympathizers between 100,000 and 200,000 were killed and there are some estimates that it's as high as 1.14 million
1: not ideal i
0: i don't necessarily believe those high estimates but even 100 million 100,000 is pretty i mean any based but, on
1: what conti- what continued to happen it's super hard to know the accurate number but i mean any any deaths related to those things are bad. I mean, even if it was only five people, it's still not.
0: Yeah. It's okay. not great. <laughs> I also, there's a source. I can't remember the name. That's I'm a terrible sorcerer, but are terrible remembering sources from the top of my head. But apparently this was like a lot of the people that were captured by re and like in these reeducation camps, a lot of them had no sympathies towards communism whatsoever. No, no but after they were f- liberated basically by the North Koreans, they did have sympathies. Well,
1: I mean, that's like how the Americans have contributed to the rise in Islamic fundamentalism or fundamentalism by being involved in the Middle East. Yeah. You know what? I just want to know a surefire way to make someone hate you. Be and, up in their face and
0: invade them and
1: destroy their shit
0: and send them to Guantanamo Bay.
1: Like they may not have hated you before, but they sure they will sure after.
0: Did. Yeah, that's the thing. This this guy said, a lot of these people. Even afterwards, were not communists, but they were willing to fight with communists because, like, there's no way this is the worse. The communists
1: didn't treat me like Yeah, there's trash.
0: no way this is worse than what I just went through. Yeah. Well, it ended up getting that way, but...
1: <laughs> At the time, though. Yeah,
0: so, so far, things are not looking good for South Korea. I mean, how
1: bad could it possibly be, our famous last words?
0: Exactly. What could possibly yeah. go wrong? what could possibly go wrong?
1: The model of this podcast.
0: Yeah, basically. So... As you guys can tell, it was a quick, it looked like it was going to be a quick early North Korean victory. South Korea lost 73,000 soldiers out of 95,000 that they had.
1: That's pretty rough.
0: (laughs) And here's the interesting thing is the Soviets, they actually had that, the North Koreans had to ask the Soviets for permission to attack and the Soviets are like worried but they saw but then they saw how little the US gave a shit and we're just like
1: yeah cool
0: we're like they said we're cool with it you have to go talk to Beijing i should mention like Beijing like this was just after China had become communist
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so they were new and they were actually allied with the Soviet Union at this point
1: yeah but, before things went for shit
0: but, yeah but that will be much later than this But the Soviets are like, this isn't going to cause... The Americans are not going to get involved. The West is not going to get involved. No one cares about Asia. They considered it a civil war in Korea. They're like, no one gives a shit. So what were the Americans and the Allies doing? They were shitting their pants. They were shitting themselves. And what is probably the greatest sense of hindsight...
1: Hindsight's twenty twenty. And
0: here's here's the fu- here's the even funnier thing, Korea wasn't even part of their Asian defense perimeter. <laughs> they were like, no, nothing could go wrong. Like it's just Korea. Like what? Asia,
1: no, Asia is Japan. Yes, yeah, that is our.
0: They were just they were and but they were also super, super concerned about Europe. I cannot emphasize that enough. They were certain that the war, yeah, that war like would yeah, like the start the Europe. containment
1: policy really just. That was just Europe. Mm-hmm. Containment really didn't extend past Europe. Until... Till until after. this war. Yeah. But, I mean, at the time, like, containment was Europe.
0: Yeah. Here's the funny thing. Here's the even funnier thing that actually kind of really made me laugh when I was researching this. Americans didn't... Weren't concerned about Korea. They were concerned about Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Cause what the what was going on in Japan is there's actually a bit of a surge in popularity for the Communist Party post Second World War. they like that Communist Party still has a good hold in Japanese politics. They have seats in the parliament. People,
1: which is more than most places can say.
0: Yeah, a lot more like that. There's that, and then there like other than in actual democratic countries that aren't communist states like Cuba or China or Vietnam or whatever. Yeah, that's like one of the only places I can think of where they have enough seats to be influential. I mean, there are others, yeah. but that's the, the one. And yeah, so they saw, but they also saw Japan was the best counter to the Soviets, especially in that region. They're really close. Um, and
1: I mean, Japan had been making strides to rebuild themselves and were doing yeah, like,
0: absolutely. a lot better by this time. Absolutely, point. yes. Well, so they had
1: some influence.
0: There, Like it was, they had that, there's, there's that guy on YouTube who did a uh, briefest new Japan and he called it the post-war economic miracle. Um,
1: Enter Honda.
0: Yeah, basically like they just innovated and whatnot. Yeah. So they the wanted Hon- to
1: The keep, Honda Super Cub. Yeah.
0: They wanted to keep Japan safe because they're like, this is the best country to counter the Soviets and this would be a good staging ground in case there was something. Funny thing, they're basically
1: there. still using Japan for that. Oh, well,
0: they are. They definitely like. There's still U.S. bases on. This is
1: why Japan matters to us to like, keep everyone else in Asia happy. Yeah, every.
0: it's such a controversial subject today, especially in Okinawa, yeah. because, as far as I know, a lot of the Okinawa, I think a lot of Japanese in general are not happy with the American presence. Eh. But it's really bad in Okinawa. They're not
1: wild about it. I think they've mostly gotten over it in certain places. But I think it depends on how big the presence is. Like, it's not huge in mainland Japan, so
0: meh. But Okinawa
1: is definitely... It's got
0: the largest base there, I think. And the Okinawans are Which is
1: because the Americans actually invaded Okinawa and they didn't invade the mainland.
0: exactly. Well, yeah. Anywho. Just a brief, just a little prologue to World War II when we eventually get... To one of those episodes.
1: There will be many. It,
0: there's not going to be one episode in World War II. We're not doing that.
1: We're, we're better people than that. Yeah,
0: we're not going to Probably. sit you for two hours or five hours of that.
1: Only totally five.
0: A day. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they wanted to protect Korea and from... They wanted to... Well, no, they wanted to protect... Sorry, they wanted to make, um, ensure Japan survived through the influence of the Soviet Union and the People's Republic of China. There's also, like, they are still, like, fearful that, um, they're like, well, could this be just a ruse for them going into Europe? Like, what is this? But then, the, the here's the interesting thing. The Soviets actually sent a message to the, to the United States saying, we're not going to intervene in Korea. We're not going to do it. So the Americans are like, oh and they started putting in to they started planning their own intervention to aid the south koreans so the un security council met and they drafted something called the un security council resolution 84 and it was a move to organize relief efforts to aid the south koreans militarily with supplies it was just a call for what's known, it's known as a police action. So it's not a, it's when you don't declare war, but you declare police action Mm -hmm. and intervene on behalf. It passed unanimously with no vetoes. But here's the funny thing. The Soviet Union could have vetoed it and it would have failed. So why didn't they? Because the Soviets were not in session and the reason why is because they were boycotting the UN, because the UN refused to recognize the People's Republic of China as the legitimate government, and they were still recognizing the Republic of China, which was now, and still is, on Taiwan. So because of that, the Soviets were not going to meetings, and they could have boy they could have vetoed, but they didn't. And so, therefore, it passed unanimously with one absent. <laughs> even I think he, I think I was reading. Even Yugoslavia, which is communi- which is was a communist country at the time, voted in support of intervention. It's like I mean they didn't. It's obviously Yugoslavia did not like the Soviet Union. No, but it's surprising that I would have thought that they would have abstained.
1: I mean, they didn't need Stalin. They had their own shitty dictator. Exactly.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. They did and they were anyway, they were not like we're like, We're not gonna support the Soviets or the United States.
1: We're abstained.
0: Yeah. Kind of. Oh, that's gonna be so much fun to talk about, Yugoslavia. Yeah. It's the first podcast people were kind of reminiscing on what's gonna come next, deal with it. Um
1: things to get excited about.
0: Yeah. Bloody
1: wars in Eastern Europe.
0: So with that all out of the way, the US had their need to go and this is what's interesting all of all of the allied forces fighting with korea were designated as un forces Mm -hmm. not peacekeepers un military intervention
1: Peacekeeping wasn't a thing
0: not yet um the first troop the first american troops arrived not long after in july and the first ...battle between North Korean and American soldiers happened on July 5th, 1950... ...in the Battle of Osan. Uh, the, group, the American group was known as Task Force Smith. So what happened was... ...the American, American infantry came into contact with North Korean soldiers... ...that were fleeing, that were chasing, fleeing South Korean forces at first the americans were able to gain the upper hand because the north korean tanks were not very well organized were unable to find targets and were just kind of wandering around and also they and many of the rockets that were fired at the at the american positions just failed to to go off they failed to explode so they would just hit the target and just be like, that, that was it. It was done. Like, it wasn't going to explode. However, that wasn't going to last because the Americans, not really having learned from their mistake, they were... Task Force Smith was not very well equipped. They were... They also had problems firing their rockets, like their bazookas, at these targets, and they didn't explode. Because they were just, they may be, they were probably wet, just not very well made. There might not have been enough gunpowder in them, but they would just literally hit the tank and bounce off and not detonate. But, that, but again, like the North Korean rockets would be fired.
1: Maximum and, efficiency. Yeah, but the
0: North Korean rockets weren't fi- firing properly as well. They would hit the targets and just like... Basically
1: done. a war of who sucks worse.
0: Basically, but we're gonna find out that the Americans um so they were under equipped, they had no they had hardly any bazooka launchers to defeat the tanks, like basically none.
1: I believe they're called rocket launchers.
0: Well they're bazookas is the is actually the proper term. I looked this up. Fair enough. They still use like the bazooka is the one that they used in this like it just looks like a tube. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, for our audience, yeah, it's a it is the official designated name is the bazooka.
1: Such a stupid name. I
0: know, but it's, like, I've heard many reasons why it's called that, and one of them is because it kind of, that's the sound Sounds it makes. Sounds badass. No, that's the sound it makes when it fires or something, but I i don't know. I think it's kind of cool. Gave us Bazooka Joe. Come it's on. It's
1: very cartoony sounding. That, I don't that's like That's the it. point. But then how do you take it seriously <laughs> in war when it just sounds like something that Wile yeah. Coyote would use?
0: Now that I think about it, Bazooka Joe may have came first, but I don't know. So anyway...
1: Again, fact check us.
0: Anyway, so... The first battle was quickly beginning to be an American defeat. Eh,
1: sucks to suck.
0: Yeah, the Americans managed to hold the lines for three hours, though. There was no... If, if there were any failings with the Americans in this battle... Brave, <laughs> Lindsay almost dropped. The, me. Keep going. Almost dropped the microphone. <laughs> Sorry. Um, they think we're mad people, right? Now. I mean, they're not yes. wrong, but yeah. Yes. Um.
1: That's why they're listening, probably.
0: Yeah. Hopefully they Maybe. listen. Okay. Um. So they were all, able. They were able to hold the line for three hours with all the failings that day. Bravery was not one of them. On all sides. I'm going to give credit to North Korea where credit is due. Um, So they were able to hold the line for people to evacuate and get far behind the line. um, I lost my... Oh, there we go. Um, But they they were forced to withdraw because they were running out of ammunition and there was a major communications breakdown. One particular company I need to or Platoon, I uh, rather, I need to bring up, was 2nd Platoon B Company. They didn't receive the orders to withdraw because of the breakdown in communication, and they became surrounded. They fought so hard that most of them escaped. They were able to break through the North Korean line and get out. The only people who were captured were wounded soldiers who they couldn't evacuate and a medic who volunteered to stay behind and tend to the wounded. So again, bravery was not a failure at Osan that day. Uh, Another another bad thing about the 2nd Platoon, though, is that most of the remaining equipment was captured. (laughs) That's the interesting thing. Is a lot of the North Koreans were supplied by Americans. So you'll see posters of like, like propaganda posters of North Korean soldiers like saying, like it's it says something like reunite Korea or something like that. And the guy in the front, there he looks very communist, but he's holding up a Thompson machine gun. So it's just like, what? And it's because they got supplied by the Allies during the Second World War and they just had a surplus of these weapons and the Soviets gave them whatever Thompson's they had left so yeah Osan ended up in a North Korean victory Um, and this was not and then they were like the Soviets and the Chinese and the North Koreans were like the the Americans are pathetic like they're frail they're so unprepared for this war we're gonna win this So not looking so good for them right now, huh? No. Not great. No, it's not great. But it's about to get a bit better. They were chased all the way down to the southeastern tip of Korea in an area known as the Pusan Perimeter. And between August 6th and September 18th, 1950, they were fighting in this small section of Korea. So the initial failure Of Korea was mainly because of budget cuts by Truman. Obviously. The South Korean and Allied forces. They set up a 230 kilometer defensive line. On the southeastern tip of the Korean peninsula. And they managed to hold out for that long. Like, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's a month and a bit. But when you're constantly under attack. That's a long time. And also the North Koreans started to have major problems because their supply lines were being were being very stretched.
1: Never a good thing if you're
0: trying to win a war. No, that's usually what ends up killing like battles or offenses. It's because of extended supply lines. So who which Let's look at some of the allied forces that were there. Of course, there was the U.S., the British. There's also the Canadians there, the Netherlands, New Zealand, and Australia, among a bunch of others. But during the be- initial beginning, these were the main guys.
1: Mm-hmm. There were the Greeks and the Turkish were both there, I think. Yeah,
0: the Greek-Turkish were, like, really...
1: They show up and mash a lot.
0: I'm sure they do. I'm sure the Greeks do as well. A couple times. Oh, okay. But yeah, the Turk the Turks had a lot of troops in there Korea. There were some Swedes too. I a. I think Swedes were medical personnel though.
1: Most were like they, they were part of like the peacekeeping. Yeah. They weren't really active because they haven't actually actively fought in war since the eighteen hundreds.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Or earlier, anyway.
0: Um, Unimportant. The one the one reason why the why the Pusan perimeter line was able to hold was because. The the UN allies had naval and air superiority. The North Koreans didn't really have that great of a Navy or an Air Force. They weren't really well trained in those. I don't think they really... They didn't really have... They kind of had an Air Force, but no, they weren't trained. They weren't trained in...
1: Which is sort of important if you have an Air Force. because yeah, Someone's got to fly a plane. It's
0: very... Yeah.
1: It's not that easy.
0: No. Especially when it's like... We'll get into that. But yeah. We're gonna get into the now into the turning point in the Allied favor. There is a certain man from the Second World War, famous for the Pacific theater, theater, and he was his name was General Douglas MacArthur. People know this guy.
1: Fuck yeah, MacArthur. Yeah,
0: basically he was he's the guy. He wore that general's hat, was uh, aviators.
1: Yep, and he had a and he had a uh,
0: corn. Horn. Corn, what is it? Corn, corn pipe. Corn pipe in his mouth. So I, I, whenever you see a general in like old cereals and whatnot, <laughs> looking like that, it's based off of MacArthur. It's basically,
1: so basically like Patton, but a little bit less psycho.
0: A little bit.
1: Emphasis on the little
0: bit. Yeah. Though. So he was a World War II hero, famous for fighting in the Pacific. Um, and he, be, he was made commander of UN forces in Korea. He made an he and his strategists, I should say, formed a plan to have a counterattack in a place called Incheon, which is on the northern end of South Korea, in order to sweep across and cut off the North Korean supply line completely. So they made the decision. They they made the decision to make an amphibious assault on Incheon. And the other, the reason why Incheon was chosen specifically is also it was super close to Seoul, so it would be easy to just sweep up, retake Seoul, and then sweep across the peninsula. So, uh, on September 10th was when the battle officially began, and it began with a naval and aerial bombardment. They also used napalm to burn the trees on the slope in order to clear the way for the troops to move up
1: not a korean war quote but mm, i love the smell of napalm in the morning
0: there you go napalm for people who don't know it just burns that's all it's meant to do is burn it's not great no it, if it, it's
1: basically just like solidified gas
0: yeah it they, is yeah it is well yeah um anyway once once we get into the vietnam oh war, we'll talk
1: so much more about that stuff good
0: lord we're gonna be talking about that all day for five days, they bombarded Incheon and the surrounding area, and they, the first landings were on November or September fifteenth, rather. The North Korean forces were outnumbered six to one, so there was very much <laughs> slanted in favor of the UN. The UN was like planned this pretty well. They're like, we need to get them out with superior numbers because that's the problem that we've had. They've had superior numbers. The tables had completely turned. North Korea was not prepared for an attack on Incheon that far north. There were not a lot of troops there, even though Seoul is right there. And they're like, oh shit, they were not prepared. And also the bombardments had destroyed the North, North Korean ammunition and fuel stations. So they had no fuel and no ammunition. Because of that, the North Koreans withdrew on the 19th of September... Incheon was captured, and they had a beachhead to land troops on the north and relieve Pusan. This began the UN offensive. So what happened is, because the North Koreans were cut off, they were the relief forces in the Pusan were able to push North Koreans out, back north, with the aid of the troops near Incheon. Seoul was also recaptured. But this made the Chinese worried. 300,000 Chinese troops moved into North Korea in support of the Korean People's Army. The Allies had no idea that this was happening. Until October 25th, when the Chinese led a surprise attack against UN forces. However, despite this abundance of numbers and this surprise the un actually beat the chinese back over the yalu river so back into china now macarthur made a promise to truman that he would have the war over by november so november 1950 this is still and then and then he said troops are going to be sent home by christmas when someone says we're going to be home by christmas
1: usually means they're not going to be you're
0: not going to be home by christmas Now, here's something that I remember learning from one of my history teachers, but I was not able to confirm it. So again, take this with a grain of salt. Apparently, Truman ordered MacArthur to chase the North Koreans and the Chinese to the Yalu River, but do not cross the Yalu River and do not bombard the other side of the Yalu River. Well, MacArthur decided to bombard the other end of the Yalu River anyway. So, again, this is unconfirmed, but according to my prof, he said this was when the shit really hit the fan. So, many of the Chinese soldiers were able to remain undetected in North Korea. They managed to regroup and launched another attack on November 25th. Within a week, Chinese and North Korean forces had regained control of all of the territory north of the 38th. So, think about this. The UN had chased... The North Koreans and the Chinese all the way to the border with China, way up at the north. Now, a week later, they, had the 30, they were chased back to the 38th again. So, months worth of work was gone. And to make matters worse, on January 7th, Seoul fell again for the third time and was back in control of North Korean and Chinese forces. Because of this, the UN panicked, regrouped, fled South, and just began reinforcing the South. Instead of making an offensive, because they're like... They were basically like, well, we gotta start setting up defensive positions in order to halt their offense. Because if we keep trying to push, they're just gonna push harder. There's no way we can fight offensively against an offensive... So they began complete to just they're told to dig in and await orders, just build up defenses. So what happened to MacArthur? Lindsay's grinning cuz she knows what's happening. Um well, MacArthur sent a list of ridiculous com- like requests to Truman and they include that he wanted to be able to use nuclear weapons. On the Chinese and Koreans. He wanted to launch a bombardment of Manchuria to destroy factories, bridges, military bases, etc. He wanted to aid Chinese nationalists to invade mainland China and possibly start another civil war there. Also, MacArthur wanted a full-scale war against North Korea. And he wanted North Korea to be conquered and Korea to be united. Truman wanted to keep the war limited and did not want to risk invading China. Because if he had invaded China, the Soviets would no doubt have gotten involved to the full extent. By now, Truman had run out of patience for MacArthur. And on April 11th, 1951, MacArthur was fired. And he was replaced by a man named Matthew B. Ridgway. This is where, this enters another major stage in the Korean War, which is the stalemate. This is where things really, really slowed down, and no side was making any gains whatsoever. This brings us to the Battle of Young, which is a major battle for not just the Canadians, but for Australians. Yeah, for uh, the Australians as well. Kapyong was fought between 22nd and to the 25th of April in 1951. It was just it's considered a major battle in the Korean War for all of the Commonwealth forces, but part- we're going to particularly talk about the Canadians and the Australians because what they did was unbelievable. Do you know about anything about this? About Kapyong?
1: A little. A little.
0: No. Well, the canadians and the australians they were tasked with protecting a hill designated hill 677 so it was the second battalion of the princess patricia's light infantry along with the royal australian regiment within the first few within the first day the australians had suffered 155 casualties could not hold them they were forced to retreat the so 700 canadians they dug in and prepared to defend against an assault by the Chinese forces. A Canadian company of 100 soldiers were attacked by 400 Chinese. They were able to hold the line and repel the Chinese back. They're outnumbered four to one. And they succeeded. One of the most amazing stories out there, and I'm so sad that there's like not a movie based around this. There's a captain named J G W Mills. He and ten platoons became overrun by Chinese and Korean forces. He he on under the re, um, not the request, but uh, with the agreement of his men in the platoon or in all of the platoons, he ordered an artillery strike on his own position and the american on the other end was reading the charts seeing the where he they were he was ordering and just couldn't and was thought there was a mistake Mm -hmm. and three times had to say repeat please repeat please because he just couldn't believe he's like you're calling artillery on your own position are you like there's gotta be mistake by the third time Mills had said, it's not a mistake. You gotta, you gotta do it. Miraculously, most of the platoons were able to survive this bombardment. And it repelled the Chinese. Because of these, the brave actions of the Australians and the Canadians. Because of like their actions, they were able to prevent the rest of the UN forces from becoming overrun and losing Yong, And so the rest of the group, the rest of the troops were able to regroup, push the Chinese out. And because of this, uh, the, Canadi- the PPCLI P- and the Royal Australian Regiment both were awarded the United States Presidential Unit Citation. And I believe this is the first time that a non-American group was awarded that high of a citation by the American so this, this is where things kind of get bogged down because they were just stuck in the stalemate for the rest of the war. They were not moving any... I mean, we could talk about it, but basically it was just like, oh, we'd fight a battle here and we'd gain this very little amount of ground that's like within 20 kilometers of the 38th. And we just go back and forth like that. However, we're going to forego that, because there's a very, very, very important part of the Korean War that Lindsay would like to talk about. And these are the MASH units. So tell us what are the MASH units, Lindsay.
1: So, yeah, MASH units were, uh yeah, basically just mobile hospitals. Um And they were ultimately designed to keep pace with combat units during war. So... They've been deployed in every major U.S. conflict since the end of World War II. Or, well, midway through World War II. They kind of started halfway through. Um, but a lot of the techniques for, like, combat surgery and uh, general battle medicine um, are kind of traced back to Baron Dominique jean uh, Larry. Um He's kind of considered, like, the the father of combat medicine. And his innovations during the N- Napoleonic War kind of helped to, uh, yeah, set up what we even do now, actually. Um, the thing about battle medicine and, like, medicine during wars is that medical advances in general that we use in everyday life advance so much faster because when you're dealing with injuries you've never seen before, you yeah. just kind of got to figure it out. Basically, any
0: kind of innovation during war kind of really yeah. tends to go really quickly. It just
1: accelerates innovation, essentially, yeah. uh, which isn't always a good thing by any stretch. But no,
0: but <laughs> in this case, yeah, it is.
1: Yeah. But uh, anyway, so uh, Larry is considered really one of the um, the founders of combat medicine. And what's important about what he did was that he laid the foundations for medical evacuation as we know it, so he was the first to conceptualize forward surgical hospitals by bringing some medical support to the front line. And obviously, during the Napoleonic Wars, the quality of medicine is not going to be great, but just the concept of, <laughs> of wanting to do that, right, yeah. that's, that's I mean, a new thing.
0: They're still chopping people's legs off
1: yeah. with no anesthetic. so fast forward to World War II, and um, it became really apparent that um, transporting patients from the front to the rear wasn't really working, Um, mostly because it requires a lot of time. And so people who are seriously injured mostly just died along the way. And so the casualty death rate in World War II was something like 4% or something. It was quite high. And so um, it became really apparent that they needed to fix that, essentially. (laughs) So... uh, Because during World War II, the original... um, yeah. So they needed to fix that. So they started to move some surgical teams closer to the front. So they set up field hospitals and the original field hospitals were often situated near an air base. So it was easy to get people in and out. Um, but ultimately the problem was, is that they were still fixed. So not really useful in a war that moves. And also it means that if your front keeps moving and your hospital doesn't, then you're just creating the same problem because you have to get people back. And that creates, it it takes time.
0: It kind of causes disruptions with the supply lines and troop movement in a way because there are people trying to get forward and trying to get people back. Yeah,
1: no, it's just ultimately not good. So in the early 40s, um, the Army uh, tasked a colonel um, who is also considered one of the founders of modern cardiac surgery. And Second, his name was my Colonel Michael DeBakey. Anyway, so yeah, this Army colonel was, he was considered one of the founders of modern cardiac surgery anyways, but he was tasked to create a list of uh, recommendations to the Surgeon General about how to deal with this problem of people dying kind of unnecessarily because, I mean, obviously the people who had really serious injuries would probably die anyways, but there was a lot of people dying from injuries that they, they could have been at least like, Helped. Saved. Yeah. yeah okay. Or at least helped, right?
0: And that's sorry, that's because they couldn't get them. people
1: to the hospitals faster. Okay. So they weren't receiving any treatment really upon moving. So they're in an ambulance, but you can't do much in an ambulance. So you're basically spending all this time trying to get them somewhere just to be triaged. So by then uh, you know, you've lost a lot of blood, you've lost just right, you know, you've yeah. lost time. And depending on the injury, like time means everything, not just because of loss of blood, but it could mean like the difference between saving a limb and not. Just right. airflow, everything, right? So he came up with um, auxiliary surgical groups, or ASGs, and they were sort of the solution. And essentially, they were like really small teams of surgeons that were sent closer to the front. And uh, they were effective, despite the fact that there was really no experience. Um, Like their surgeons... Were generally newer surgeons, yeah. and also.
0: So when you say experience, do you mean no combat experience? That
1: and also just like just relatively general? little general surgical experience. Oh, okay. Like they were fairly fresh. Um, but also. Because I think the more like, and this happened even like in Korea, which I'll get to in a second, right? Okay. um, where like the really serious, good serious surgeons to some extent stay in places like Tokyo and Seoul and safe places where you can, I mean, obviously not during World War II, but they stay in places that are a lot safer at more fixed hospitals because they're dealing with the way more serious cases necessarily, Right. right? Like ultimately the purpose of an ASG is basically to patch someone up. And, like, save their life. And yeah. if you, you do surgery to save them, but they probably are going to get opened up again when they get shipped off to right. a more stable right. medical well, setting.
0: In the, in the Second World War, when you were a medic, were basically, they basically pointed to you and said, you're the medic.
1: Yeah. So, like, there was always Corman, and it was the same with in Korea. Like, every
0: every platoon or platoon, whatever, uh, yeah. you get
1: a corpsman or a company, medic. I think, company, I think. Yeah. Company, yeah. You get a medic, and they basically just, like, patch you up to get you to the next step. They basically
0: and, just try to make you, get you to survive yeah, long they, enough. They the yeah, they basically, yeah, they
1: patch you up to get you to the next phase of medical care. Okay. So, yeah, the ASGs um, were pretty effective despite, yeah, just like figuring out as they went. Um, so they were able to move. The thing that would benefited, and this is ultimately what spawned MASH units, is that the ASGs were able to move with combat units, and so they reduced casualty deaths. So... Essentially, they were because they were able to move, they could stop people from dying immediately from these, like, stop casualties from dying immediately from bleeding out and other various things. So they weren't deployed really until, like, it was only in 1940 that uh, DeBakey was kind of tasked with coming up with solutions, and that obviously takes time. So really, the ASGs, I don't know. I don't have too much information on them, but I know that for the most part, it was really near the tail end of the war. Okay. So, like, you know, later on. Yeah. So, fast forward to Korea, and, um, as we kind of mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, most people's cultural, like, only really cultural reference to Korea is, is the TV show MASH, which I'll talk about in a bit, because pop culture is my jam, (laughs) but ultimately, like, the reason it is that way as well is that it's really representative of one of the most, like, defining aspects of the Korean War, which is a MASH unit, um, so a MASH, I should have probably started this off as a mobile army surgical hospital. Um, That's okay. But for anyone who didn't know, now you know. But anyway, so in the Korean War, ten MASH units supported four army divisions, and there were about fifteen to twenty thousand troops per division. So um, the experience of these MASH units um, really like helped translate to the improvements in uh, resuscitation and. Uh, trauma care, patient transportation, blood storage and distribution, patient triage and evacuation. So, um, the 8063rd MASH, which comes up in the TV show, turns out it actually exists as well, um, was supporting the famed 1st Cavalry cavalry Division, and they were the first medical unit to enter Korea. And then the 8076th MASH um, soon followed and landed in Pusan, which uh, Jonah talked about a bit earlier. Um, and ultimately, like, the thing about the MASH units is that they had went in, it's like all wars and all armies, you go in thinking it's going to be a certain way, and then all of a sudden it's really not, and you have to figure it out. Yeah. So very quickly, <laughs> MASH units went under, like, rapid transformation um, from their original sort of table of distribution and allowances in order to support the large influx of patients, because it turns out when it's a crazy war like this, you're going to have a lot of people. <laughs> So, so to meet the new challenges, uh, inpatient bed capacity rose from 60 to more than 200. Um, and so more vehicles, tentage and equipment were added to each unit. Um, and ultimately for every like 200 bed mash unit, most of the time they would have like 400 people. Right. So like patients, so you can host 200 patients and they had 400. So they were like seriously over capacity, over capacity. which is just the nature of the game, yeah, really. Well,
0: Richard, Richard Hooker said that he, there will be times where there will be like months with not really anything. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he'd be dealing, like not just him, but Surgeons, his whole yeah. his whole unit would be dealing with a thousand casualties a day.
1: Yeah. So, um, I'll kind of talk about that actually when I get to okay, the, TV, the TV show a little bit too, actually, because yeah, yeah. they just they, discu- they end, like sort of discuss that a bit. But, um. Actually, the other thing that was f- kind of, I guess, new to the Korean War is... Um, so, helicopters were... It was really, one of the first times helicopters were really used to transport casualties. Right. Um, and so, they were actually referred to as air ambulances, which is why, like, even now, like, stars Air Ambulance, things like that. I think because helicopters are easy to get in and out of places. Um, and it was sort of new technology at the time, really. Actually. <laughs> uh-huh. And, uh... I think it's the
0: first... War using helicopters, yes, yeah, yeah.
1: because the Sikorsky helicopter was like the early fifties or like late forties. Yeah, so like that. it wasn't I... there; it was new technology, and they ended up using it. And how they would do it was um, actually just like in the TV show—they would put a patient on each um, rudder, sorry? rudder, yeah. yeah, or not rudder, um, running board. That,
0: that I don't think no. being on the rudder would—that would That'd be... be bad. Yeah,
1: <laughs> running board is the term I'm looking for.
0: I'm just sorry; um, I just got that mental image.
1: I know it's great, and. uh Yeah, so they were introduced during the Korean War, and they airlifted patients from the battlefield to nearby MASH units. Um, In 1951, the 8063rd MASH was the first to use helicopters to evacuate casualties. So that's a fun fact. the 80... 63rd. Oh, 863rd, okay. Yeah. Um, And originally, the pilots were mostly provided by the Air Force, but in 1953, the Medical Service Corps became a thing, and Medical Service Corps officers became the primary pilots for medical flights, um, medevac flights. And they received sort of special training in how to... And they were usually chosen, I mean, obviously for their flying skills, but also just in their knowledge and how to deal with patients. And there's not... The problem with helicopters is, you know, putting them on sideboards is that you can't really attend to them while you're in transit. Right. But it's also faster, so you don't need to as much. Right. Like, for the most part, the most serious cases were sent by helicopter. And then... Others were sent by ambulances. Okay. But how it really worked was, um, yeah, so air evacuation ultimately, like, contributed to the dramatic decrease in a death rate from wounded soldiers because you've increased the amount of time. You've increased the amount of people you can take in in less time because right. you're moving faster.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but essentially what happened was you were taken from, like, your, your medic dealt with you to get you to a battalion aid station. And then from battalion aid, they patched, you. it was battalion aid stations were like basically right on the front. And they were a very small unit of like one or two surgeons and some like, or like, uh, corpsmen and stuff. And they would triage you and patch you up some more and <laughs> and then send you to a mash unit. So yeah, triage started at battalion aid. Um, and like. I guess I should back up slightly. So field triage wasn't invented in Korea, but it was, like, kind of perfected.
0: It was first mass, or... Okay.
1: Like, triage has always existed. It's not like triage is new. But, like, field triage wasn't new because they were doing it in previous wars, right? But it kind of was, like, not perfected, but it significantly changed, and it significantly improved. So, um, yeah, triage was initiated at Battalion Aid. Um, So soldiers that were evac'd there were like dealt with and then they were evac'd to a mass unit where they were triaged further
0: okay
1: so triage at mash units was modeled after um the dictum quote life takes precedence over limb function over anatomical defects mm. end quote <laughs> so basically and they talk about like hawkeye uses this term a lot in the tv show they did meatball surgery Right. So yeah, basically, yeah. they're just trying to help you survive. It doesn't matter what you look like after, and if you have to lose a leg to do it, sucks to suck, but yeah. we got to do it. Well, I mean, your life matters more than your leg. Yeah,
0: I mean, <laughs> when you're a med meta- when you're a corpsman on the front lines, you're not meant to necessarily you're not there to perform the procedure, you're there to stabilize the person enough to survive to get the proper treatment. Yeah. I mean it might might be different. Was it it's pretty much the same in Korean War was, was it?
1: For
0: which? For the Korean War? I'm okay. talking from the perspective of what I know from the first or second. Like
1: war. medics and stuff and Corman. Yeah, yeah, it was essentially the same. Like essentially you're there to try and like put bandages on and stop some bleeding if you can. Yeah and just, get them to
0: just to stabilize Yeah.
1: You basically them. stabilize okay. them till they get to battalion aid and then battalion aid deals with them then. Right. Okay. And so then the most mostly they just... All they do is further stabilize somebody. So, like, if you have a chest wound and you get to battalion aid, they will do their best to stabilize that wound even further and then ship you off to MASH where they can do, like, a slightly more proper surgery. Right. And even in some cases...
0: What do you mean slightly more
1: pop- pro- proper? Proper. yeah. Like, they can spend a little more time because they're not being shelled <laughs> okay, so while they're doing surgery because battalion aid was at the, at the front, right. essentially. So, okay. battalion aid was also taking fire in the middle of battles so they're the
0: the actual proper mash fights were only slightly more proper yes
1: because depending on the surgery (laughs) like depending on the surgery they can only do so much for you before they have to send you to Seoul or because usually after mash they would do a surgery to like stabilize you and keep you alive even further and like um put you back together as best they can with the supplies they have and you know like it's, right. it's, it's a mobile hospital. It's not really great.
0: Okay. It it does
1: the job, but it's like the thing about, you know, meatball surgery as as Hawkeye called it, is that you're keeping people alive and yeah, you're saving lives, but ultimately a lot of them needed further medical care.
0: Okay. all right. So yeah. yeah. So they would need to be transported to a proper depending hospital. Depending on, depending like on
1: what the, the problem was, but okay. really they were only kept in post-op at MASH units for like a very short amount of time because they had to get people out, right? Obviously, yeah. yeah. So most but, of the time they would end up in hospitals, like in a more stable place, like Seoul or it depends. Sometimes Tokyo, like, yeah. um, they would get sent away, and then
0: I, sorry, they would I just, get yeah dealt I, with. I just want to clarify: if you hear stomping, it's because there are kids running up around upstairs. Yeah, uh, yeah. Children. Sorry, sorry, folks, but hopefully you can't hear it, and I'm just talking to dead air
1: (laughs) sorry we can can dream
0: yeah sorry about that uh, oh that's
1: fine the thing about like meatball surgery is that it also helped to push forward a lot of advances in surgical technique because you uh you learn some things when you're dealing with new injuries because with every new war there is new ways to kill people and then you have to find new ways to fix them so um mass surgeons performed a lot of retrospective studies and they all greatly influenced um, trauma care around the world. And honestly, a lot of it's still today. Same with, like, in World War II and just every war, really, since the introduction of gunpowder has, <laughs> has increased our ability to fix each other <laughs> when we inevitably try to kill them.
0: First, it increases our ability to rip each other apart and then fix each other. Yeah.
1: So that brings us to uh, the 4077 and M.A.S.H., the TV show, which uh, ran longer than the actual war itself. <laughs> um, 11 seasons, which the Korean War was like technically only three years. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it ever really ended, but technically we'll, we'll it was be, only we'll, three years. we will we'll be getting into yeah. that in a moment. So, um, yeah, not, the TV show was was based on uh, Richard Hooker, who Jonah sort of briefly mentioned in yeah. a context earlier, but he was a surgeon during the Korean War. And so the TV show was largely based on his experience. Um, and so the living conditions in the show weren't like, they were shown as being pretty harsh, right? I don't know. I'm assuming a lot of people have seen it. If you haven't, you should probably watch it. Uh, go
0: watch. They play it on one of the movie, one of the mo- not movie channels, but one of the TV channels like every Sunday.
1: Yeah. The History Channel plays it every day at 10 a.m. There you go. And 3 p.m. Go watch it. Um, it's one of the few good things they still air. And, uh... <laughs> Anyway, so (laughs) the, uh, yeah, the living conditions are portrayed as pretty harsh. Like, it's a a tent city, essentially. The only really permanent buildings are the um, uh, surgical suites and post-op and, you know, a couple of things. But for the most part, you know, you're living in tents and you're eating shitty army food. And life generally sucks. And the thing about Korea is that Korea has a very temperamental climate. It gets very cold in the winter and very hot in the summer. It's a lot of bugs. It's pretty crappy. Um, and for the most part, that was fairly accurate, except that the conditions in actual MASH units were worse. <laughs> oh boy. So MASH personnel often had to endure extreme temperatures and really rugged, rugged mountainous terrain. Korea is not really flat. It's not a no, flat no, jungle. It's no, quite mountainous. So, um, their convoys traveled through treacherous battlegrounds and hospitals were assembled really only a few miles from front lines. So. Yeah, not great. Um, There was, you know, a few episodes of the show when they're being bombed, essentially. And yeah, not great. Um, And MASH units, unlike in the show, uh, MASH units did actually often move several times each month just to keep pace with combat units. Um, In the TV show, they never really show bugging out, which is just packing up and getting the fuck out of there as fast as you can. They did it a couple times, but for the most part, I think it stayed the same. Probably just for production purposes. <laughs> um,
0: you can only change places in California so many times.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, medical personnel worked a ton of hours uh, just because there's tons of casualties, and surgeons operated pretty much continuously. Um,
0: well, also, surgeries take
1: a long time. A but that's the thing about meatball surgery is that you don't have time. So right, yeah. that's why it's like kind of hack him up surgery you just got to do it and do the best you can in a short amount of time which was really like a really common theme in the show because when there is a cast change and uh, Charles Emerson Winchester III comes in he's a very like well-accomplished surgeon who's been based in Tokyo doing very like academic things and he's he's a specialist and he does really he's a great surgeon but he's very pompous and he pisses off a general so this general's like oh hey you need a, you need a surgeon in uh, at the 4077 take him Here he is. And he's great, except that – and he's really cocky in the show. He's like, I'm this great fucking surgeon, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he gets there, and he has to operate, and he's taking his sweet time, and he realizes, like, just how, you know, like, this isn't pretty surgery. You're not leaving these people with really great – you know they're going to have scars cuz you need to suture as fast as you fucking can. Right. And there's a scene where he pretty much just loses his shit in the operating room because he's like overwhelmed by the fact that Hawkeye is like you need to be moving faster. Like right. we have a thousand more people to t- to work on and you're only on number 2. Like right, yeah. get fucking going. And uh so, yeah, they worked a lot of hours and they were just constantly doing it. It's like you finish one, they move one out and you get another one. You don't get to move, you just stand there. It's like right, you yeah. change gloves and mask, if well maybe not even mask. You change your gloves and you get back to work. Um so in some mash units, monthly admission rates were over 3,000 casualties. <laughs>
0: oh my god.
1: Yeah. So compounding all in, of in, that In a month, you said? Yeah. That wasn't that wasn't uncommon. Oh my god. So, compounding all of those was the fact that mash units were vulnerable to enemy attacks and short range short range artillery. <sighs> so. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Not not great. No. Um there's one episode uh of MASH where they're basically like yeah, trying to operate and they're being shelled and it's like Yeah. Not not good. No. Um Yeah, so like during uh much of 1950 and 51 MASH personnel injured really rough living conditions, and uh, large casualty loads. And the thing about, like, that made MASH units, like, it was interesting and it's kind of like this, it seems, in every American war in Asia, is that, like, everyone went in not knowing anything about Asia, and so... (laughs) you get there and realize you're, like, ill-equipped and don't know anything yeah. about the diseases that exist there.
0: And you're just not prepared, Yeah, like, for where you are.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I think it was worse in Vietnam in lots of ways yeah. um, just because of the attitude that people went in with. But in Korea, it was very, like... They had to adjust to the fact that, like, no one expected the temperature to be that fucking wild in Korea. Nobody yeah. expected, like diseases that exist in Southeast Asia that don't exist in, yeah, you know, like no one anticipates these yeah. things. And so it's like, not only are you dealing with medical challenges of like war, you're also dealing with medical challenges of you have surgeons and doctors and nurses and people in positions where they're like, I have no fucking clue what this is. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So,
1: yeah. well, um,
0: I mean, the this is, this is, this relates to how I, like my understanding of the vietnam war but it definitely works in korea as well especially with what all we were talking about at the beginning but Mm -hmm. um part of the reason why a lot of these things were like failed at the beginning is because you you, american troops were not being trained to deal with asian environments like i mean when you look at korea like when you look at korea there's a lot of similarities between, like, Korea and yeah. us, but there's also a lot of differences. They were not prepared for that. And it was no. the same in Vietnam. They were being... Tra- again, they were being trained to deal with Jer- or Russian soldiers coming across the grasslands of Europe, not the jungles of no. Vietnam or the... I mean,
1: I think it was more exaggerated in Vietnam because it was a lot more guerrilla warfare. Oh, like, absolutely. Korea was still very much a... Tra- well, not very much, but it was more of a traditional war and yeah. in terms of how it was fought. And so... That's why MASH units worked. Um, they changed come Vietnam from MASH to um, an acronym called MUST, which is the Medical Unit Self-Contained Transportable. It's kind of a stupid acronym, but anyway. <laughs> um, it was basically just a MASH unit that was better designed to deal with guerrilla co- warfare. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, so during that period of 1950 to 1951, 200-bed um, MASH units often treated over 400 patients a day. Wow. Um, And by the later part of 1953, it started to become clear that, like, the war was quote-unquote ending. So there was just less need. But um, six MASH units of the ten, uh, five of which were active, remained in Korea. And those were given responsibilities to treat, like, prisoners of war and civilian casualties. But, I mean, the thing about, like, MASH units um, that was pretty well-portrayed, in uh, the show, which I promise I'll actually talk about now. Um, <laughs> there was just yeah. a few details I needed to get out there yeah, no about it. But um, one of the main themes of the show is that they try and humanize the Koreans. Like, yeah. the thing about how the enemy combatants and just even the people, the, quote, natives of the country they were in, were often really, like, not taught to these soldiers as being humans, they're like they're there, but yeah. you're not really dealing with them, and so it it's awkward. And especially when you're when you're a doctor, um, kind of one of the main themes of the show, because you have these main characters like Hawkeye, and in the first couple seasons, Trapper John and uh, Colonel Blake, and then it changes to um, B.J. Honeycutt and Colonel uh, Potter, <laughs> who actually was one of the only regular Army people in the show like in terms of like his character was regular army where everyone else was drafted were draftees so that's the thing is no 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 he's an actor uh but in the and like his character of colonel potter was regular army and in mash almost all of the characters are draftees so and you can tell that just on like the attitude of the show like the general theme is that like war is bad and the easy way to portray this is using a medical unit because it's easy to put doctors in a war setting but doctors have other oaths right they take right. they take oaths to save lives they're in the they're in the medical business cuz they want to save lives not because they want to take them or they discriminate against who they're saving right. like so in the show like obviously they deal with american casualties and they deal with um some south korean casualties cuz they're allies and whatever but they also Deal with a lot of like the quote natives right they deal with the people who live around there and they often provide medical care to people who exist in that area right. and all the regular army people are kind of like bur, we shouldn't be doing this, but not all of them, but lots of them <laughs> because you know it's a waste of supplies and whatever right. but it kind of like it, it's a thing it shows this conflict between it's like an ethical conflict between uh, between the the doctors and Like, they clearly don't want to be there because who wants to go to war? Mm -hmm. But also, like, they they openly disagree with these policies of, like, only treat Americans and only treat these people because it's like, well, they're humans, too. Like, a big thing that goes on in the show, and I honestly think that at some point Hawkeye or someone said it, is that all humans bleed red. And, you know, we're going to treat everyone the same because ultimately the human body is the human body when you cut someone open everyone looks the same like
0: when you look
1: at the, your race doesn't matter when your chest is wide yeah, open when you,
0: when you see the time period that this came out it was very
1: yeah i mean i mean
0: i mean the the sh- when the show came yeah, out, yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah it was um it was quite liberal and i mean like the thing about <laughs> mash that's really hilarious and i mean it was really funny but like it was, it was a funny show yeah, and yeah, it was, it was no, really, it really well is. crafted dark humor. But the thing that's funny about the show and that I think it's kind of like the, everyone knows it, but I will repeat anyway, is that really MASH was like a Vietnam criticism wrapped in a different war. Yeah. And so it's really easy to draw parallels between the Korean war and the Vietnam war because like MASH does that essentially by even just existing Yeah. because you would never know that they're, f- you know. I mean, you, like, just by watching the show, you wouldn't necessarily know that, like, it's a protest against Vietnam. I mean, maybe if you were watching it in the actual time, you would know that. Yeah, but ultimately, it was just, like, a stated fact by cast and crew that, like, this is what we're doing. Like, we don't. They're protesting the war. And, um, yeah, I did a lot of really, I guess, revolutionary things, yeah. too. But
0: I would go further and say MASH is just a, just a protest against war.
1: It is, as a told yeah, one. for sure. But I mean, like, yeah,
0: I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, It, I, it was obviously the timing. It was yeah. talking about Vietnam.
1: But I think anytime you watch the show now, yeah, you see it as more than just a protest of Vietnam. It's a protest yeah. of war because exactly. it shows, it shows. I think every the struggle that almost I'm sure every military surgeon or military medical personnel yeah. deal with in terms of like, I'm being trained. It just shows the like, I guess. Dichotomy of like military training and medical training, because military training is like okay, well we're fighting these people, so fight them, kill yeah. them, and then you're a doctor and you're like, well actually,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> like my my medical training supersedes my military training, right. especially when you're a draftee. Right. Like if you're a regular army, it might be a little different, but probably not. But these people. For the most part we're, draft, we're we're drafted they didn't want to fucking be there well, it's, they it's, had to leave lucrative private practices yeah. to go fight or not really fight but to go to a war that they didn't know it was about right. and it technically wasn't even a war they're being told it's a police action and they're like, well, it looks a lot like a war to me yeah, exactly. and um you know there's peace talks that aren't going anywhere and you're ultimately like being told that communism's evil and you're like, well, that's great except that they're also humans, and I yeah. have to save them. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it just shows this like dis. There's, there's a dichotomy between yeah, medical training and military training, and it's just like a super. I think good way to. I I think it's just a good vehicle for, for sh- like criticizing war and just not even criticizing it, but just like showing kind of the. That war isn't really that straightforward. Right. Like, yeah. like even wars even wars like World War II that had very clear ideological um, boundaries. Everyone knew what they were fighting. Like, okay. I'm sure there was still a lot of instances of American doctors or, Canadian, or allied doctors treating German soldiers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, like, vice versa. I mean, the Germans weren't all evil, I'm sure. You know, like, yeah. they're – so it's it's definitely, like, there's a, there's a code. I mean – doctors take the Hippocratic Oath, and they, like, doctors generally have a lot more in common as doctors than they do based on, like, the side of the war you're on, and there's actually um, this one episode of MASH where the, uh, this is, like, when the Chinese are involved, and a lot of Chinese soldiers were treated um, at the 4077, and then they were just sent to POW camps, I think, Mm -hmm. and uh, there's this one episode where there is a prisoner exchange, essentially, between some Chinese doctors and the 4077. Mm -hmm. And it's very unofficial, but this Chinese doctor is essentially like, you've been good to our boys. I know that they've survived because you give them good medical treatment. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't remember the circumstances of why they decide to trade prisoners, kind of, but they essentially do because they're like, you know, we're all doctors here, like, we're (laughs) we're on different sides of the war here, but we're, we care about ultimately saving our people and saving people.
0: Yeah. And it's good that that show was able to portray. I mean, we look at North Korea today, Mm -hmm. and even China today, and we kind of forget how we kind of really dehumanize. That's how you, and that's,
1: that's like really what war is about though cuz yeah. it's really hard to fight people when you see them as humans like
0: it, yeah and it's like this like they they're put put it excuse me they're pushing it on the human populace that oh these are the bad guys and we're the good guys cuz we're here and we're fighting for this but then um you even the people at home like watching Footage of like the Iraq War or Afghanistan or whatever, um, you kind of forget that. And I'm saying this regardless of how horrific the regime might be, even a lot of the soldiers that you're fighting might be. You got to remember these are all human. Yeah, and I think that it's important to remember even like it's important to even remember people like Hitler are human, human, because if we just dehumanize people like that, we forget what humans, what type of evils humans are capable of.
1: Which is why I think, like, most soldiers and, like, I guess veterans that I have experienced, like, when they talk about the things that traumatize them the most about war, was, like, that moment they realized their enemy was human. Yeah. Like, um, so, I have a connection to the guy who was portrayed in Passchendaele. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, so... He was a family friend of, or he was related to a family friend of ours. Mm-hmm. So my dad actually got to meet him. Okay. And my dad said that the first, they were talking about the, the war, or World War I, and the first thing this guy told my dad was that he's like, the first thing, or the most traumatized, or the first thing I did in Germany, essentially, or the first thing I did in the war was put a bayonet between a German's eyes. And he's like, that sticks with you because you see that person as human. And, like, I've heard stories of um, Air Force pilots you know, dropping a plane and they can see the whites of the other pilots eyes as they're going down. And yeah, it's like, especially yeah. when they're a German plane, cause they don't have parachutes.
0: Well, so yeah. it's like,
1: you realize in those moments that they're human and like mash did a lot to humanize, uh, just to bring it back. Um, mash like humanized a lot of things because not only did they really deal with like the war itself. They also kind of took on a lot of things in American society at the time too. Like yeah. they dealt with issues of race actually a significant amount in part because racism was a huge fact or a huge factor in the war itself. Right. I mean, just like calling people gooks and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, but also uh, like the role of African American soldiers in Korea. So in the original, like the first 11 episodes, <laughs> there was actually um, a black doctor in MASH Mm -hmm. and uh, they kind of cut his character after the first 11 episodes, which seems really harsh, and it is, but it turns out that it's actually more historically accurate that way because there were no black doctors during the Korean War, especially not like neurosurgeons. No, absolutely And that's what his character was. Yeah. But there's one episode where Hawkeye takes to task um, this one battalion leader or whatever, uh, or not really battalion leader, but he's a commanding officer, Um, He's of the uh, army engineers and he has like one of the highest casualty rates in terms of his, his, uh, his men. And they're almost always black. And uh, Hawkeye was kind of like, they figured it out essentially. And because they were talking to these soldiers that were injured and they had fixed and how like they had no respect for their commanding officer because ultimately all the white guys didn't have to go do the dangerous work.
0: Oh, so
1: this commanding officer essentially purposely put his black troops troops in harm's way because he didn't think they were good enough to even really be there. And so Hawkeye basically kind of plays white savior a little bit, but he he takes this guy to task. So they dealt with the fact that, like, there's racism in the army. And I mean, there weren't like an abundance of black characters on the show, in fairness, but um, which is, I guess, a problem. But. Well, I- but on one hand, it's also also accurate in a certain way because yeah. for the most part, just like in Vietnam, it's always the least privileged people who end up on the front in infantry. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, like, they took a lot of things like that to task. And even dealing with, like, um, I think it was... I can't remember what the circumstances were, but essentially they had this one treatment that black soldiers always reacted really negatively to, like, physically, and they figured out it was due to some, they're like really prone to, I, I want to say anemia, it's not anemia, but it's something like that. And this one treatment basically. Oh, so it's like. Like literally a physical, like.
0: Yeah. It's like, are um, you talking about the, like they have. Sickle cell,
1: sickle cell. Oh, okay. So they um, have like a
0: different, like people of yeah. a different color will have a different. Sometimes. Like reaction to certain medicines that or, yeah. you, someone like you or I.
1: Might not. Might, okay. Um, and that is, makes sense given tons of. Yeah. Um, it's, medical treatment isn't always isn't really universal all the time, right? Um, so, I think it's something to do with sickle cell issues, yeah. and it's not all of them. It's not everyone. It's no. just like they're more prone to it or something. Right? Yeah. So. Um,
0: well, I'm sure there's stuff that white people are way more. Prone exactly. To. Yeah.
1: It's, um, but it, they just addressed it because it was it came up essentially because there was something with, like, Asian conditions kind of triggering the need for, like, this treatment. And they ran out of a certain drug, so they had to use this other one. But they're like, it's going to cause more problems, and it's a whole thing. And, like, it was really interesting in that way. I don't really know how I got to this point or why it's irrelevant. No, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did because
0: um, it's good to talk about stuff like this because of, like, the time period in the 50s. yeah, People don't really know is that actually this is – and we will – yeah. Do an entire episode on this, I promise. Uh, this the fifties is actually when the civil rights movement really started. It did, yeah. I mean, closer to the end,
1: like mid fifties.
0: Yeah, but um, like people like Rosa Parks. That mm-hmm. was in the fifties. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think
1: Brown versus Board of Education was like late fifties.
0: Uh, I think that was in the sixties. Was it? I think it started in the fifties. Like that yeah, whole process the, started yeah. in the fifties. Because like, I mean.
1: The thing about it is, like, sure, the ruling might have happened in the 60s, but those pro- those processes yeah, those take forever.
0: Take, yeah, if you're going to the Supreme Court, just, you it's know... It's going to take time. Bring a tent, yeah, a sleeping bag, basically. <laughs> basically. Um, yeah. But,
1: yeah, so it, MASH definitely dealt with a lot of things. And, like, MASH also just pushed the envelope in terms of, like, what was acceptable on TV, because they were one of the first shows to ever show blood on primetime TV. Um, and they, were, they didn't in the first... At least the pilot. I don't remember how long it took for this to happen. But when you watch the pilot and they're doing surgery, they're not showing any blood. And yeah, it's just kind of weird. weird. And you can't hear any of the patients. Also kind of weird because, you know, someone with a gaping chest wound is going to be in a lot of pain. doesn't matter how much morphine you gave them. Yeah, they're probably yeah. still going to feel that. So um, eventually that changed because they they realized just, you know, people need to see that medical scenes aren't pretty yeah. especially in wartime because i think really previous to that people like people's i guess exposure to it in popular culture is like no one really sees the surgery you see the surgeon and you d- you see like a little bit but you don't see like blood you don't see anything like that before right it's like doctors do good things and blah everything works out and and that didn't happen in mash like they lost people and yeah. things didn't go well and you could see like the actual and it dealt with things like trauma and like PTSD and well, what becomes now PTSD really, but um, has been called different things over the time. Well,
0: yeah. But I
1: mean, it's had like I mean, 16 different names, yeah, but, but they, yeah. they deal with either way. They deal with like the trauma that it that war has on surgeons, even though they're not at the front like they, yeah. no, they might not be physically taking bullets and physically seeing that. But they still have to... They
0: they see what those things do to people.
1: And they also kind of see it secondhand, yeah, because they see what it does to the people, but they also have to listen to these these soldiers talk about what happened. And, like, even dealing with, like, injuries um, of soldiers shooting themselves in the foot to try and get out of the army. Yeah. Because as a doctor, you're in a pretty awkward position because you need to technically report that as, as an army officer. But as a doctor... Like you don't want to send them back to the front and you know, that's where they're going. Like, so it's or to jail or whatever. So it's kind of, I don't know. It was, it was just, it's a really interesting show. And I think that what just makes it the most fascinating as well is just sort of what we talked about earlier and how it fits this narrative of Korea as the forgotten war, because like, Whenever you mention the Korean War, the only thing, unless you know someone who served, yeah. people are like, "Oh, Mash," and you're like, "Yeah,
0: exactly. Yes,
1: Mash." Yeah. Um, fun fact about the movie, which I guess also should be talked about because the, the show is based know. on a yeah, the show based is based, a based on movie. a movie that's based on, on a, book. a book. Yeah. But anyway, in the movie, um, my friend told me this fun fact today. Most of the movie was actually improvised. <laughs>
0: That actually makes a lot of sense. Which really pissed
1: off the filmmakers. I'm
0: sure, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So thanks, Craig, for that fun fact. And uh, yeah, I thought that was really hilarious and probably should be mentioned for some comic relief here. But <laughs> Well,
0: I honestly, I, I haven't seen a lot of episodes of M.A.S.H., but from the episodes I've seen, it is really funny when he needs like it when, is it's most for the most part it's funny but it also is really serious when he needs to be it is yeah and once like in the latter seasons actually the the season finale was like yeah. the most watched tvs oh, episode my God. in history yeah.
1: and also makes me cry every single time it's i've watched it half a dozen times and i yeah
0: we're not bald. we're not going to spoil it but it is by far it's by far the most grim it's, episode yeah. i've ever seen on television i think the
1: thing about mash that like Yeah, and, like, kind of going back to how it dealt with, like, trauma on the surgeons and, like, dealt with, um, yeah, like, mental health issues was um, actually, like, the evolution of some of the characters and, like, how they deal with it. So, like, the fact that it was a comedy actually makes that show even better. Like, I don't know that MASH would have, I mean, it would have worked as a drama, but I don't think it would have been as effective. Like, I think the mode of comedy was actually more effective because um, it allows for gallows humor to be a thing. Yeah because most of the humor in that show like it is funny because there's of course like just stupid hijinks they prank each other all the time and like just stuff like that right it's a comedy
0: if you're able to laugh at things it shows that you're healing
1: but a lot of the jokes yeah so there's a lot of like stupid like sitcom humor and things that happen but things that happen when you have a group of people who have to live together in tight quarters for a long time in a traumatic setting
0: didn't they have a laugh track at one point they did okay okay
1: Doesn't matter. Sorry, keep
0: going. I
1: think, did they have a laugh track? I can't remember. I don't even remember now. Anyway, not the point. Um, (laughs) But the reason I think that as a style, comedy works better than drama in that sense is that for one, um, the episodes are shorter, which kind of is just, I think, better when you're dealing with a heavy topic sometimes. Yeah. Uh, But two, it like, yeah, it allowed for the humor to kind of work both ways. Like it was funny for the audience because it was like a funny joke. Yeah. But it was also funny in the sense that that's how people really deal with trauma. That's how, that's how you deal with a shitty situation. You make jokes about it because that's the only way that you're going to keep yourself from going absolutely insane. Yeah. My,
0: my friend, uh, my friend, I'm allowed to name him. He says, cause his name is John (laughs) and he, he's in the army and he, he's, he never served in, he didn't serve in Afghanistan or anything. He was in he did a peacekeeping mission in Cyprus and then a peacekeeping mission in the Congo. And he said, if you don't have a dark sense of humor in the army, you're going to go insane.
1: Yeah. And it's like that in um, one of my professors, um, who probably isn't listening to this, but Dr. Robin, <laughs> but Dr. Robin Tapley is the shit. Um, <laughs> she does a lot on the philosophy of humor. And I remember going to one of her talks um, that she... At the time, hadn't really fleshed out a lot on it, but she was something she was investigating was uh, on gallows humor and like mm. as a coping mechanism, but also as more than a coping mechanism. Like, at what point is it? I don't actually this was a long time ago, so I don't even hundred percent remember what was going on, but it was about gallows humor and how like it's really common amongst like medical professions and like police officers and like some, an army, like yeah. anything like that where you're dealing with a lot of shit on a regular basis, you kind of have to have dark humor. It's, it's it's a it's a coping mechanism, but it's also a little dangerous because it can become too normal sometimes. But that's not really the for this conversation. But uh, no, uh, I know I know I know. But like being, it's yeah. it's it's really common as a coping mechanism. So I think that like mash being a comedy is suited better to the point of the show in right. a way, and it's like a better mode than it being a drama because you can really only have so much comedy in a drama before yeah. it's a comedy yeah.
0: right yeah exactly like
1: the humor then becomes a little more heavy-handed and it's a little more like you're kind of almost trying to like force force brighten it up when like the thing about it is like MASH was about the war and it criticized the war but at the end of the day like it was also ultimately highlighting a group of humans that had to be together a lot yeah and even though you're in really tough situations there's still good things yeah. like they're for every really terrible moment that you have there's some kind of redeeming thing and like the camaraderie you build or like the you know you always find a way to have like good experiences because if you don't then you're not going to make it yeah. and and so mash like showed a lot of those human moments too and just like i don't know i think ultimately there's a reason it will go down as one of the greatest tv shows in history yeah it, absolutely it is so yeah. um also one of the longest running at the time or at least at the time was one at of the, the longest time, running yeah. uh, Lawn Long order smashed that it's
0: still, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 it's still the most watched season, finale, like, season ever. finale ever and also one of the most watched tv episodes ever mm-hmm. and it's all and i was looking this up and uh when researching this podcast and it's only beaten by uh super bowl
1: yeah <laughs> like a
0: couple of super bowls and it's like
1: that shouldn't count and i think it's actually still one of the most watched like reruns
0: definitely because almost
1: at least like four different channels still have reruns it. yeah
0: so yeah like definitely guys definitely go check this out if you're not so much into like television there it's based on a book it's just called mash and story of three army doctors i think it is it's written by a man named richard hooker who was an who he was an army surgeon in a MASH unit during the Korean War,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, a lot of the stuff that he wrote, like, none of the names are real, but yeah. he says a lot of the stuff he wrote in the book actually did happen. Yeah.
1: And if you want a really good impersonation of MacArthur, watch MASH. Um, <laughs> because actually, one of the biggest like running jokes for the first like good few seasons is that Trapper John. Can imitate MacArthur oh, yeah. incredibly well. So there's um there's this one episode with uh, uh, this this like Korean guy has like a biplane or no it, it yeah it's a biplane and he tries to like throw there's like an ammunition dump close to this mash unit close to the four zero seven seven and uh, every day at five p.m. <laughs> this uh. They call him something Charlie, and I can't remember what his frickin' name is.
0: (laughs) My dad will know. I
1: know. Oh, my God. I know it, too. Anyways, he flies by and throws a bomb out of his plane trying to hit the munitions dump. Mm -hmm. And so uh, (laughs) it becomes, like, a thing. Like, this is something that the people of MASH rally around. They place bets, like, (laughs) every day. There's, like, a viewing gallery, and they go out to watch it. And... uh, So every day they go out and Trapper John kind of dresses like MacArthur, like the corn pipe and the hat. And, like, they're in their house coats and just like, oh, yes, Charlie's coming today. (laughs) And they bet on how close he'll get to hitting it.
0: And, yeah,
1: it's so funny. And then... um,
0: Is this just one episode? Yeah, it's just one episode. But
1: then... uh, But, like, Trapper dresses up as MacArthur, like, a bunch of times. And one time he dresses up like MacArthur to actually try and convince somebody that he's MacArthur. Like, (laughs) and I I, I think he did that, like, probably more than once. And I can't remember exactly what happened in each one, but, like, it was for, you know, some benefit. Um, (laughs) But, like, for every, like, hilarious moment like that, there's something that really, like, is serious and hits home, like, a point. Like, the fact that the whole time this war is happening, there's peace talks.
0: Oh yeah, I'm like gonna, I'm about. I'm yeah, gonna and get so
1: one of that. the most like, and just like the futility of it. Like, there's one episode where Hawkeye is just like, done, and he takes a jeep and he drives to the peace talks to just like try and go like talk some fucking sense into them. Yeah. Obviously gets stopped at the gate, but like, well, yeah, he gets to like where the peace talks are and gets stopped. But it's just like they, the show is just so masterful at like having this great. Funny comedy, but making a point. And even if yeah. people didn't realize it was making a point, it still made a point to them.
0: Oh, definitely. And that's,
1: I think, what is so like good about good comedy is that you can make a fantastic point without being like heavy-handed about it, or like, you know, just like you don't have to smack someone in the face to make them get something. The Mash certainly right. like, did that a few times, but yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, I guess we can move on from Mash. But
0: okay. No, that was. I, I'm I'll. Uh,
1: I'll post. I'll post a uh, a Mash must watch. TV list yeah. on uh, an episode list on
0: uh, there's some on great, Facebook. Some really great There's some key though. episodes for There's sure. some great characters. Like there's that yeah. guy who as up as there's this one guy who really oh, wants Klinger. to get out. Korknock Klinger, yeah. Klinger. He wants he keeps dressing up as a woman.
1: Actually the fun thing about Klinger too is that he was one of the first portrayals of like transgender, transgender with that was <laughs> a being like he wasn't really I guess it's kind no. of like <laughs> kind of mocking I don't want to say he's mocking <laughs> transgender people, but he's the really one <laughs> of the first ex- like, like socially acceptable versions of cross dressing yeah, on really, TV. I don't, I don't think so. You
0: can't argue that he because he's he actually because he embraces it. Well, he's doing it because he wants to get out. Yeah. he wants. He's like, I'm gonna cross dress because I'm make them think I'm crazy.
1: Yeah,
0: or. Right? Is yeah, it, that it is, because yeah. he
1: wants a Section 8, which is like uh, a discharge yeah, because of mental defect lead, or whatever. But
0: he just can't. They just, they. I think it's that all of the higher-ups are on to him.
1: Well, and it's it's one of the most used reasons to try and get a Section 8. It's not like it was
0: Yeah, new. it's not, not a but, new thing. But, <laughs> I mean, also, uh,
1: the thing is, like, um, he, his character, it was kind of done in like a, a tasteful way, too, in a way, because no one ever made fun of him for no. it, no one treated him poorly they kind of all just like went with it and he and
0: would know he, would ne- he wouldn't act effeminate as no. well you just be walking around and he's literally just, just wearing a, a dress <laughs> he's talking the same he's walking the same as he always does. he's just wearing a dress and like a hat with a feather in it yeah
1: or whatever He
0: looks like a. he wore
1: um like old school nurse's uniform sometimes because yeah. technically Corm- eric klinger was actually a Corman.
0: Oh, was he? Yeah. Okay. So
1: he, um, there's a couple episodes when, or at least one episode when Hawkeye gets sent to battalion aid because one of their surgeons got killed uh-huh. and uh, another very real moment in the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if you want to like get a decent idea of what a battalion aid station was probably like, there's a few episodes. Yeah. Actually, I'll try and include them in the list, yeah. but. I'll, uh, get,
0: I'll get you to do that. Um, let's, Yeah. Lindsay will post, like you'll post yeah. three episodes.
1: Yeah. And yeah. But Klinger gets sent with him because Klinger is actually technically a Corman. Okay. Um, but, yeah, there's, like, the thing about M.A.S.H. that was great is that there was so much really excellent character development and, like, just great characters, like, memorable characters, yeah. like Hot Lips Houlihan and, like, <laughs> Hot Lips <laughs> is the best.
0: That's one of the funniest, like, I, I, I'll I probably say this and then we should move on. Yeah, um, probably. but But uh, it's funny because, like, there, there, there's a lot of moments where... Um, the men, like the surgeons, yeah. will sleep with the nurses.
1: Yeah.
0: And I, when I was researching this, I was researching Hooker, the man who wrote the book. And um, he said stuff like that happened a lot. It's like, well, you're with I, these you're, people. Yeah. I mean, he said it would happen both as like just a fling and also there'd be like relationships. Yeah. It's like, he's like, it's almost, it was almost like the way he was describing it, it's like, Summer romance is, like, camp.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Because you're... And it, it happens, like, on every school trip you've ever been on. Yeah. Like, it's the same kind of concept. Like, essentially, you're stuck with these people constantly for a long time. You're going to develop these relationships. Yeah. It's going to happen. Um, from, like, a feminist perspective, Hula or Hot Lips is, like, a super fascinating character, which... I don't really have time to talk about yeah, you'll, but it's something I'd like to flesh out just,
0: at. just watch, watch the show and you'll understand yeah. I'm sure we'll come back to talking about MASH probably
1: again. post some things about yeah. it and we'll
0: we'll talk about MASH eventually again. we'll yeah. we'll
1: have other other mediums to, to yeah, send exactly, out ideas but. Exactly.
0: Well, I mean when we get to the Vietnam War we'll talk about it again yeah. but yeah anyways But Vietnam War is going to be like what six or seven episodes it's going ridiculous so that means like World War 2 is going to be like 50 <laughs>
1: Buckle up, folks! Yeah,
0: buckle up! This is what you you signed up for. This. I mean, they can oh no, my, no, no, don't unsu- unsubscribe. You can't unsubscribe. Yeah, you're not allowed. It's not gonna happen. We have
1: forbid you from unsubscribing. That was
0: my pen hitting. The
1: We're now dust, officially the being dictators and saying you cannot do that. Yeah. So, anyways, we'll continue. Anyway,
0: yeah, we shall continue. So, still still going on. I hope you guys haven't forgotten. <laughs> we didn't talk about Mash that long. I don't know why I'm making fun of you. Compared to everything else. Um, well, but, you've um, hired, you
1: fired me, rehired me, and now you're making fun of me. I yeah, see how this goes.
0: You you're, you have per- the permission to make fun of me whenever you want. Sure. So
1: you say that, but then you just fire me again.
0: No, I won't. I'll be nice. Will you? Mostly.
1: Hmm. <laughs> there it is.
0: Okay. Um, one of the most talked about things during the Korean War was air combat. There's during the stalemate, there was a big thing called um, Mig Alley. And what the MiG Alley is named after is there's a type of fighter jet called the, and please excuse my butchering of the Russian language, Mikoyan Gurvich.
1: Mikoyan Gurvich.
0: Gurievich, Thank you, Lindsay. Um, M-I-G-15, but it was just called the MiG. MiG. Uh, Well, yeah, by the Allies, it was called the MiG.
1: Also, a fun fact about MiGs is that they were basically mostly just Replicas of American planes.
0: Yep, that's true. Um, but Sovietized. Yeah, they were first they're, they're first like deployed uh, by the Soviet Union in 1949. And, of course, they were used by the Soviets, the Chinese, and they're actually still used by North Korea today.
1: <laughs> MiG-15s? Yeah.
0: I was surprised, too. They still use these things. They, so, it was also said to be one of the most produced aircrafts in the world yep. i know Uh it's kind of
1: like the ak-47 of planes
0: basically yeah i mean like ak-47s you say you hate the united states and that you're socialists they'll just throw ak-47s and migs and whatever i uh for a time being yeah that's basically what it is yeah <laughs> oh it, you it, want guns oh you yeah.
1: didn't want guns you got guns anyway i mean yeah have some guns exactly more guns so, more better
0: the What's interesting is that it was in MiGs that the Soviets were involved. But what the Soviets... The so, because, like, Chinese and Korean pilots, they just weren't trained to use them. I mean, some of them could. Like, so, some of them definitely could. But just for the most part, they couldn't... Not enough were trained to use them to have a proper air force. So what happened is that Soviet pilots would pilot these aircraft, but they didn't want the United States to know that they were piloting like they were actually involved in korea so they would dress these soviet pilots up as chinese and but the america apparently american fight fighter pilots caught on to this because they're like wow how is it all of a sudden that they're doing like this good at flying and then they realized oh wait a minute and they like figured out that it was <clears throat> it was them but the Americans were intrigued by these aircraft because they were impressive. I mean, it was one of the first majorly produced fighter jets in the world. Oh, at the, at the time, I mean, yeah. Um, so the Americans actually offer, offered a $100,000 reward and asylum for anyone who was willing to bring a fully intact MiG to Allied forces. Because they got a few, but they, these were ones that had crashed. So they were heavily damaged, and a lot of the stuff just wouldn't work anymore.
1: Yeah, and, like, the MiGs, too, um, ultimately were not necessarily superior to American planes, but they were really fast and difficult to... Yeah. Like, they they were a formidable plane. It wasn't, like, Soviet machinery wasn't always... hasn't always been a joke in terms yeah. of, like, military equipment, so...
0: <laughs> well... With this reward, a Polish man by the name of Franz Franz I'm going to butcher this. I'm so sorry, people. It's that one. Franziszek. Franziszek. Jurecki. Jare- yeah, Jurecki. He he's like, yeah, I'm not really happy with living in Soviet the Poland, East, the Eastern Bloc. So he actually got a uh, got up in his plane and flew. To the Allied lines and landed on a base on March 5th 1953 and because he was the first person to do it he was given $500,000 and granted immediately granted American citizenship other groups like there were stories of other like Koreans doing it as well and they would get asylum and $100,000 but yeah because he was the first person to do it he got a lot more you, you mentioned they were going through an armistice for a long time. You know how long that was, guys? It was since 1951 they were trying to get a ceasefire.
1: Yeah, pretty much right after the war started.
0: Basically, well, <laughs> right after the stalemate, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, And so peace negotiations were ongoing for two years, on and off. But they kept stalling over POW repatriation. The problem is that many of the Chinese and North Koreans, they didn't want to go back. so And there were a lot of POWs from that side. Some changes definitely happened during this time. In 1952, the United States presidential elections happened, and it, they were won by the Republican candidate Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was...
1: Allied Supreme, or Supreme Allied Commander, or Supreme...
0: Supreme Allied Commander, Commander. Commander in Europe. In Europe, yeah. During the second, during <laughs> like, the latter, like 1944. His title
1: is so badass and hard to repeat. <laughs>
0: yeah, but he became president in the United States. He actually personally visited Korea in the middle of this conflict on November 29th, 1952. And he was there to, in order to help formulate a cease of hostilities between the two sides. The beginning of the... the the process to actually formulate a proper armistice was started with India during the war India did not send any combat troops they did not support either side but what they did is they sent they they attempted to be a mediator between the two sides like to try and resolve differences and they also sent uh, humanitarian like humanitarian aid they send medical units to the UN side so they were working alongside people in the mash but they just they didn't send any combat troops they were trying to they were trying to be remain peaceful basically prime minister nehru he was absolutely terrified that the korean war would lead to world war 3 and therefore nuclear war and a possible war between India and China, which is why they, he mostly did not send combat troops. India, seeing a chance to rise up, actually actively entered the negotiation process in the armistice. And they actually formulated an agreement that was approved by both sides. So part of the agreement was the border would be kept in the, where it is near the 38th parallel in what is known as the Kansas Line. And to know what the Kansas line is, just look at a map of uh, the Korean Peninsula today. That's what it is. It has not changed. Also, another big thing that really helped push through the the armistice was uh, Joseph Stalin died on July 19th, 1953.
1: Khrushchev's like, got bigger problems than this. Basically,
0: well, they're still in the midst of... Figuring out a predecessor, I think, by the when it ended. Because mm-hmm. the armistice was signed on July 27th, 1953. I should let you know, an armistice does not mean the end of the war. It just
1: means no more shootings.
0: Yeah. Even then. Or fewer.
1: So, Less shooting?
0: Yeah, basically, yeah. So what this resulted in, on the Allied side, 178,405 Allied soldiers died. Of all those... 137,899 were South Korean. 36,574 were American. 1,109 were British. 741 were Turkish. And 516 were Canadian. There are way more casualties from the other groups there, of course. These are the most... Like, these are the top... Also on top of that half a million allied were wounded. Between on the other opposite end, between 398,000 and 750,000 communist forces were killed. 215,000 to 315,000 were North Korean, and 138,000 to 108,000 and as upwards to 400,000 plus were Chinese. And only 299 were Soviet. Half a million to 789,000 were wounded. And sadly, as it is in most wars, the biggest casualties were civilians. 2.5 million were killed or wounded in an an estimate. 990,000 were South Korean. 1.55 million were North Korean. 22,000 North Koreans and Chinese refused to repatriate and and defected to South Korea and the United States. On the opposite end, 327 South Koreans, 21 Americans, and one British soldier refused to repatriate and they defected to North Korea and China and the Soviet Union. This is a really sad story that I have to get out of the way. There was a... an agreement to repatriate the dead from both sides, called Operation Glory, between September and October 1954. 4,000 casualties were brought to the Grave Registration Service Command of the United States. Of those 1,868 Americans dead, and out of those 848 were unknown and were buried as unknown soldiers in, uh, in Hawaii. Of the exchange to China and North Korea were fourteen thousand. This is the saddest story I've ever heard of the Korean War, is when they had the they had planes flying these bodies back to Allied lines. There was this one pilot and he was saying that his plane was so packed that there were body there was a body bag next to him. Like him and his co-pilot. He landed the plane and he's just sitting there and he had to know who was next to him. He unzipped it and it was his brother. Oh, God. Yeah. Imagine. Uh, Imagine that.
1: Well, now we're all heartbroken.
0: Yeah. Flying with this body that you have no idea who it is. You unzip it and it's your brother. Yeah. How fucked up is that? As people know, Korea is still divided. It's still there. They established the demilitarized zone, which ironically is the most heavily militarized border in the world. Both sides still see themselves as a legitimate Korea and do not recognize each other. I mean, that's kind of changing now. You've probably seen the news. Now, what happened to India? Well... The United States were not very happy with India not fully supporting them, so they were completely ostracized by the United States and therefore the West. And also in retaliation to this, which is very petty on the American side, they started to support Pakistan, sending them arms, sending them money, training. So India just kind of they were like, well, we don't like the Americans anymore. We don't like the Soviet Union. So they actually were one of the founding members of the non-aligned movement, along with Yugoslavia, Indonesia, Egypt, and Ghana.
1: Quite the collection of countries there. I know,
0: yeah. But it's you kind of look at them and you're like, I can kind of see it. Like Yugoslavia is a bit surprising, but yeah. yeah. Of course, there's still continued hostilities between the North and the South. I mean, it, it's been over half it's been over 60 years almost coming up on 70 it's like two years it's going to be 70 years since the Korean War that's uh, there's been several incidents since then in 1968 there's an attempted assassination on the new South Korean Prime Minister Park Chung-hee USS Pueblo incident where an American spy ship was attacked and the some of the crew was killed, and the, a lot of the crew were captured and tortured before being sent back to the United States. And the pueblo is actually still in Pyongyang, and it's like basically. <laughs> a, and when you like when you hear people going on those weird trips to North Korea, like where there's government, like they're with a government guard the whole way. That's one of the stops as you go see the USS Pueblo, because it's like their big ha ha weepy. We be, I
1: got it. We got it.
0: <laughs> There's a murder of two American soldiers by the KPA who were, they were attacked with axes and hacked to death. Of course, North Korea started to arm with nuclear weapons around 2013, That's possibly sooner. And there's also, the, there's also a major incident. Most recently was the sinking of Ch- the Chinan, which was a North, South Korean vessel sunk what was said to be a North Korean torpedo? Like, of course, there's like North Korea denies it. There are some people who are kind of skeptical. But as far as we know, it was from a it was sunk by a North Korean torpedo. You might have heard. Starting April, things have really started to thaw between North and South Korea and the United States. I mean, for the first time ever, so a South a North Korean leader visited. South Korea they stepped on each other's soil they shook each other's hands it was the first time like something like that major had happened every single time before then it had been on the demilitarized zone in this room mm-hmm. that we're half a table half of it's in North Korea half of it's in South but this time they actually stepped foot in each other's territory of course recently like Trump kind of Trump and the South Korean's going kind to of fuck that up
1: Trump's just being Trump. Oh, it's
0: just like, did you really think during this whole thawing it was a good idea to have military exercises with the South Koreans? I mean, come on.
1: Yeah. You couldn't
0: have canceled it.
1: Super bright.
0: Anyway, yeah, it's frustrating to me because we're so fucking close. But we still kind of are because I guess.
1: Well, it's still progress, ultimately, I I, I guess.
0: Kim, Kim is kind of like saying, like, kind of coming back and saying, okay, well, maybe we can do this conference in Singapore, but I don't think it's going to happen when they say it's going to happen. Like, now it's all up in the air. I I just read today that it's these kind of... Like, Trump is kind of being like, no, 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 like, like, let's still have this talk. Yeah. People are saying it's uh, Kim kind of reeling him in. Yeah. So who knows? Hopefully it ends. Hopefully it's done. I'm hoping to God that it's done because this is just too long. That many people dead... People still dying in border clashes,
1: and like, just not to mention the repressive shit show that is North Korea. Anyway, like, you know, the famine in the '90s, and like, like the fact there's a famine in the fucking '90s, in you know, I mean, there was lots of them. Don't get me mean. Obviously, there's lots of bad famines often, but But it just it's so like shocking when right next to it is a fairly prosperous country at that point. Yeah. Like, it's not... It's different when it's something, you know, that it's like you had cr- a lot of crops fail because of drought, et cetera, like has happened a lot in um, in Africa and things like that. It's different when it's literally a famine because of mismanagement and corruption. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's, absolutely. it has nothing to do with your food supply actually being hurt in terms of like weather or bugs or whatever. It has everything to do with just a shitty dictator who doesn't know how to do anything like it. It just make. and then you're to boot you're right next door to some of the most prosperous countries in the world, because you're not far from Japan. That's super doing well. South Korea, South Korea is doing super well. China
0: is like,
1: even in the nineties, we're doing all right. Like, you know, they're even
0: today. They're doing.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it's pretty just like, I don't know. It would be, it'd be great for, for progress to make, be like be made. And, It would just be be nice to finally have an end to something. And I mean, the thing that's just going to be the weirdest for everybody, as we sort of like talked about, is the fact this war has been going for 70 years and no one realizes it. So when it does finally happen and there's a headline saying Korean War finally over, people are going to be like, what?
0: Again, there's there's a good reason The fuck this war is known as the Forgotten War for a good reason. I mean, even in the news, I'm watching the news and reading the news and they're not even mentioning anything about... Like they're saying, oh, they've been fighting since nineteen fifty, but they, that's it.
1: Yeah, and they're like, oh, I like, what's I what's think I have, I, have a good, I can't like a theory, I guess, as to why it's kind of became the forgotten war. Um, or like, I think that uh, I am just gonna rip off this here. Yeah. So uh, I think, like, my theory for why it became kind of a forgotten war is that, like, for one, like, even though the ideological reasons for the war, at least as portrayed in the United States, were fairly clear. Um, it was the first war in a way, I really, the first war that didn't have much of an impact on the homeland. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't really a lot of public engagement with it because it wasn't like World War one and two where there was rations and there was, um, you know, like efforts to like put everyone to work to make tanks and stuff. Like there was no real effort like that. There didn't need to be, you know, meanwhile, this, this is happening and meanwhile, like the suburban American dream is happening. So no one's paying attention. They're like, oh, there's that war. And like some people had their like husbands and boyfriends and whatever, go off to Korea. But like, actually there's a a scene in Greece. That's like really fascinating of all things where, where, um, um, uh, Oh my God. Um,
0: are you you trying to think of the name?
1: No. Yeah. Of, but of, um, holy crap. Uh, they're, they're in, um, um they're having like their slumber party or whatever and she pulls out all her pictures of like her marines that she's writing to oh yeah and that's like one of the it's just a casual mention of korea and you're like watching that movie and you're like oh right the korean war was happening duh (laughs) like (laughs) because you know while she's writing to all these marines who are fighting you know they're living like this 1950s teenage like you know it's like nothing is happening whereas In World War II, like, everyone knew it was happening because all of a sudden, like, you can't get as much chocolate and coffee as you want. And, like, you know, everyone works in a factory, whereas in the 50s, it's, like, women did not work in factories. They stayed home. Like, well, white women, anyway.
0: It definitely wasn't as big a strain And
1: then it got overtaken by Vietnam because Vietnam happened pretty shortly after that. And, really. And it sort of just, like, overtook any importance Korea had because all of a sudden Vietnam was, like had an impact on the homeland and then it created like, you know, a lot of protesting and there was a, there was like a, a virulent reaction in the United States to the Vietnam war, either in support or against, yeah. but in Korea with Korea, it was like, it's happening. Cool. Like, yeah.
0: Basically. <laughs> it's just like,
1: well, and, it was and so like, it's like easy to forget that it's a thing yeah. kind of like, honestly, I think how the fact that the Afghanistan war has been going for Canada for a long time, but I can go days without thinking of it. Yeah. It's not present in our minds because unless you know someone serving or news. you see something on the news randomly, for the most part, it's easy to disconnect yourself because it's not impacting my day-to-day life yeah. in it. well, it is in other ways in secu- ways of like security. and I know. but just in a basic like getting food at the grocery store way, it's not impacting yeah. things. It's
0: kind of weird thinking about stuff like this and being like it does like we don't think about it because it doesn't impact our life. And then all of a sudden you you think, it's impacting a lot of people's lives. Exactly. Having to live through
1: that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's. I think that's kind of my theory as to why Korea sort of just became this like forgotten conflict is that it was the first real major conflict in American history where the homeland was really not affected at all. In you fact, know? they were prospering at the same time they were at war. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it was very much this like wonderbread, white, like happy yeah, version yeah. of America and like everyone's got a car and a, you know, it's, like, those kinds of things. And then at the same time, there's this really bloody war. And they kind of address that a little bit and MASH, even, like, uh, a lot of the characters talk about, you know, their, like, housewives and suburban kind of, like, lives and whatever. And then they're at war, and when they get videos from home or, like, they talk to people, it's, like, they forget Korea's even a thing. Yeah. Like, it's just easy to forget about those people, which is really sad because it affected and still affects a lot of people absolutely
0: i i also i mean i also understand a lot of people like it's not fun to think about war no but it is definitely important to think about because by ignore it's like the same same with like people yeah um same with like people who are against like don't like hearing about racism and Mm -hmm. whatnot but i mean to ignore all that would Ignore the fact that these exist, and unfortunately, these things exist.
1: Yeah, so So, I mean, that's, I guess, something we're going to deal with a little in this podcast is, like, talking about things that we don't really want to talk about all the time, but are important, and talking about, like, conflicts that are talked about a lot, but talking about the things that aren't in them. I mean, we know when talking about World War II or some of these big things, there's a lot of aspects that no one talks about because it's not part of the general narrative of the history, but they're worth talking about anyways especially absolutely. things like like racial issues and yeah, and whatever and we so. will
0: be getting into the full detail yeah with that eventually anyway I think that went pretty well yeah we did we got a rocky
1: rocky start but yeah
0: but you know that's we, we came back
1: we pulled through
0: we pulled through I mean, so but yeah high five uh, yeah we did it anyway guys thank you so much for listening uh, we hope you enjoyed this. this like I had a blast this yeah. was a lot of fun um, yeah. So anyway, uh, soon, soon be coming out. We're going to be having our first episode of M- Museum of Controversy. Think of it as a pilot episode to see if that works. Guest star is uh, I- I'm going to announce the guest star right now. Is, is a good friend of mine, uh, Muki Cornish, famous clown. Once toured with Cirque du Soleil. She shall let you know all about herself when she's on the on uh, the Museum of Controversy. And uh, as for Panastoria, the next episode. Episode two will be about the first crusade. The successful crusade. least
1: messy of the crusades. <laughs> Still
0: you'll, messy, slightly yeah, less. Yeah, you'll understand why we're laugh why I'm laughing so hard. Anyway, thank you so much. Lindsay, do you have anything else you'd like to say?
1: Uh, I guess stay posted to Facebook and I'll post some content about MASH because I'm obsessed. Um, and yeah, we'll just uh, you know, stay updated and don't unsubscribe please follow us we like you thank that you sounded th- desperate but oh well yeah
0: Bye. That's, that's okay thank you so much guys have a good day later thank you so much guys for listening to the first episode of panastoria i would like to apologize about the audio issue uh, my mic stopped working and by the time i noticed it wasn't working anymore it was way too late and we had stopped recording and i couldn't fix it This won't happen next time. I'm going to be better prepared for the second episode and for future episodes. I would also like to send out a very special thank you to Megs Kilgore. Megs helped to send out publicity for the Facebook page and for the podcast in general. Please go check out her Twitch account. It Kilgore MegsKilgore1. That's M-A-G-Z-K-I-L-L-G-O-R-E 1. I also need to give a special thank you to my friend and co-host, Lindsay, who was just phenomenal throughout this whole process, phenomenal during the podcast, and I look forward to continuing this adventure together. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening. Stay tuned. We have more content coming soon and more episodes coming soon. Thank you so much. Have a good day.